0: Hey what's up everybody it is Sunday March 6 2022 welcome to yet another episode of the email mind you podcast I'm TJ I'm Matt and of course before we begin remember spoilers 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 as always please check our episode descriptions in them you will find the timestamp so if there is a chapter or a combat sports event that you have not yet checked out you can always skip and come back to it later all right but again There are spoilers. Now. Because I don't care if you read it. (laughs) As as usual, right, we do have uh, quite the roster for you today. In terms of our manga roundup, we have uh, Sakamoto Days. We got Ayashiman. We got Kaiju number eight. We also have Jujutsu Kaisen, and we're going to round it out with My Hero Academia. Then jumping into our combat sports, we had a UFC event last night. And I don't, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were no boxing events uh this past weekend correct i am gonna correct you okay okay no for <laughs> because
1: sure. there were uh there were two that i'll be covering today got it got it got it uh, so we i'll just do be covering the main events. events of both of these mm-hmm. uh pretty interesting storylines on both but yeah i'll be covering both of those They're just two title fights
0: gotcha gotcha and then after yeah. that we'll segue into our topic of the week which this week matt is going to be
1: uh, it's going to be us giving our thoughts on Cobra Kai.
0: Boom. So, and
1: that that also, spoilers ahead on that as well, because I don't care if you watched it.
0: <laughs> so, so check the timestamps. <laughs> so if you're time not caught stamps. up on Cobra Kai, you may want to skip this topic of the week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, speaking of, of our topic of the week, last week, we both saw the Batman recently. We're not going to say anything else, but if you want to tell us your thoughts on... Last week's topic of the week considering that the Batman has dropped, let us know on our Instagram. You know how to hit us up. Now, without further ado, let's get into the manga roundup starting with Sakamoto Days by Yuto Suzuki. Uh this week's chapter was chapter 61 titled Pretty Decent. Now, before we get into the summary and the review, let's talk about last week's last panel. What did we see? Kanaguti blows up the plane. Now, listen up all you assassins. This is a movie. Let's get into the summary. It literally picks up right from that last panel. Like I'm not man even for real. <laughs> like the same dialogue too. Um, Kanaguri just blew up the plane. We see that the head test admin. This is actually the first time we see uh, any of the other administrators. Right. The head test admin, whose name is Usami, is concerned that the fallout from this is going to mean his head is on the chopping block. Right now. While one of the other admins who's carrying Mizuno, and it's also important to note that most of the admins have parachutes. um, Mm -hmm. This admin points out that he was against hiring Kanaguri in the first place. Then we see another admin, Ms. Ato, suggests that instead of this, you know, being a whole crapshoot, that they spin it, right? They spin it so it becomes like, hey, turns out this was always part to the exam. Anyway, Kanaguri isn't just acting like a rogue. We wanted this the whole time, right? Um... We then mm-hmm. switch over to our boy Scarface glasses. And this actually is not the first time we've seen this Ancelade character make an appearance. And I got a note on that when I get into the review. But mm-hmm. his text bubbles basically let us know. It's like, all right, they basically have two minutes before they hit the surface, right? Whether it's water or the island that they're expected to land on, right? Um, we My then switch over. Had approximates. Yeah, he did. He did. Now I'm like... We also need to talk about how cool of a head some of these characters are keeping while all this is transpiring. Like, they're falling at, what is it, uh, 120, 120 miles, miles per an hour, hour. <laughs> which, even though they haven't hit the surface yet, it's almost like they're in zero gravity, right? Mm. Um, but that being said, right, uh, we switch over to our main crew, right, Sakamoto, Shin, uh, Mafuyu, a.k.a. Young Face Mask, Akira, a.k.a. Anxiety Youngster, and somehow Kill Baby, <laughs> Uh, I, got a note on, I got a note on that too but uh, they're being recorded by Kanaguri you know he's all about his footage and he's trying to see how his protagonist Akira is handling this uh, situation right Sakamoto makes a beeline for him against gravity mind you so the way I pictured it and I could be wrong it's like obviously based on his camera angle Kanaguti is still higher up compared to everyone else which is interesting considering like he's the one who blasted the hole in the plane like, but whatever Right. That's the last
1: one to fly out the plane. Yeah,
0: but he, he's he's above them and he's just like recording how everyone's like handling this current uh, crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, Sakamoto makes a beeline for him by inhaling all this hair, puffing up his cheeks, puffing himself up and like, like basically just like an action. instant burst. Right. Instant burst up to where Kanaguri is located. He uses a kick to essentially distract him while he snatches away the bullets that they'll need. Right. Because now the conditions for the second part are. Yes, you need to land uh, safely onto the island, but in order for you to pass, you also need to have a bullet, right? So he snatches away these bullets. Now they don't have to worry about the the, the bullets and they can focus all their energy on figuring out how to land. Um, Again, talk about keeping a cool head and we now see Akira's real potential. Uh, She's Mm -hmm. basically a genius level seamstress, right? She's quickly sews up a parachute from everyone's clothing and they're able to slow their descent into the water. Now, skipping ahead to the last panel, we basically see they've landed safely. Uh, Sakamoto kind of gave her a bull, cause like, yo, at this point, you deserve this. You saved us out of a tight spot. This is all yours, right? Um, mm. But the last panel is basically like a Sakamoto thought bubble saying like, what's the deal with this girl? And we see a smiling Akira still kind of soaking wet from you know the, the whole landing in the water and then making their way to the, to the beach, right? now going on to my review um i feel like i really enjoyed how the test administrator usami was like super aloof and matt pointed this out last episode but they really don't i want to say um the author uh yuto suzuki really doesn't cheap out even if the character seems to be secondary or ancillary if you will right because like All these character signs were unique and I really liked it. Um, Shout out to Mizuno. Like the last two episodes I've been pointing out, like where's Mizuno? Did she Mm -hmm. make it? And we see that that one administrator is like holding her as they like parachute to safety, but Mizuno is confirmed alive and kicking. That's good. Um, And yeah, the fact that all the participants are out here fighting for their lives and this test admin and Usami is just worried about keeping his job is just funny. Shout out to Ato, who also seems to be like the head of their PR or situation. At least she's below Usami, but she's the one who comes up with the idea of like spinning it to be like, hey, we wanted this. A whole. This is all part of our plan to have a second part of this test. Um, mm-hmm. Shin immediately reading that other admin who didn't have a parachute, by the way, but reading that other admin's mind and discovering <laughs> that it wasn't planned at all was, as usual, hilarious. Um, I want to say, yeah kill baby is still alive now if you're wondering why i'm saying that cut back to when he complained to mizuno about the spatula and she just slashed his throat right now he's alive Mm -hmm. but if you look at the imagery you'll notice that he does have quite a bit of bandaging around his neck right so he probably just bandaged gave himself some first aid uh at some point but i don't know the way that wound uh was delivered to him it didn't look like he was supposed to make it but that's neither here nor there he still serves his purpose as comic relief um Mm. now speaking of comic relief mafuyu was pretty much useless (laughs) this chapter like all he did was cry the whole time but it also made me think like he might actually just be the youngest participant in this transfer exam all things considered he's only 14 uh we haven't seen any other like youngsters show up here and you, you know the age range for this transfer exam is just massive um mm-hmm. <clears throat> i feel like this manga deserves an anime purely on the strength of animating sakamoto's cheeks like the whole chapter they always get they action. were always animated because of like you know they're falling the wind, so obviously like yeah. that wind pressure that air pressure is like making them ripple but it's just there has yet to be a chapter where his cheek doesn't do something funny um I think we need to talk about kind of uh in this sense too. And I, while I was reading this chapter, it just hit me what the graphic was on the side of his head. It's a it's a film spool. I didn't realize that until later. I thought it was like some type oh, really? of a uh, 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 reticle. Like you might see like in a, uh, sn- I don't know if retic- is reticle the right word, but basically mm-hmm. like, you know, how you might see in a sniper scope. I thought it was something like that, but I think it's just a film spool. Uh, like, you know, like the old school projectors, mm-hmm. like how they have those spools of films. I think that's what it is um but the fact that he was like like sakamoto does not seem to be a problem to him right he blocked the kick and repelled sakamoto while still holding the camera angle, right he wasn't concerned at all um but i mean that sakamoto's whole point was just to, like focus on getting the bullets right um mm-hmm. he's purely fixated on the protagonist in anxiety youngster aka akira right um Sakamoto thinking that his apron was enough to make a parachute was just funny. Uh, the dude immediately <laughs> like just sank through the sky. But yeah, no, this was a cool chapter in that we saw uh, Akira's primary skill set. Her wheelhouse is sewing. Um, also, it's cool to see that Sakamoto and Shin like in this time of crisis. Like, okay, she she's got something that can help us. Just don't even think. Hand her the cloth that she needs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then Kill Baby taking it too far was funny too, like, again, comic relief. But I think we need to consider a few things, right? For one, when she's actually in her element, sewing all that stuff together in like a free fall, the artwork is so sharp. But again, like she's sewing this all together while they're falling at 120 miles per hour, 20,000 feet up, which is probably like even less now since they've been falling for a little bit. Mm -hmm. in like the span of two pages, like two or three pages. That's hella fast. Um, and then shout out to Scarface uh, Glasses for kind of giving us that exposition. And the first time we see him is actually, because I was looking back at uh, at a few chapters just to see a little bit more on uh, Akira's backstory, because she had talked about her parents discouraging her from becoming an assassin. I wanted to find that chapter again. But we see uh, Scarface Glasses back in chapter 57, um, when he was talking about like, you know, admins versus bullets so on and so forth. Again, another... Like, he's a character who's been used twice, not just for exposition. Um, Mm -hmm. But another thing that's wild, too, it's like, again, she's doing this in zero gravity while they're falling toward the surface, but all clothes aren't made the same way. These are clothes, and they all have different materials associated with them. Like, you can't assume that Kill Baby's jeans, like uh, uh, Mafuyu's, like, sweater or whatever, like, there was a leather, like, Akira's leather jacket. She's sewing them all together, Right, that that's that's pretty that's pretty. Just a needle, with just a needle, and like, how did she have enough thread? That's neither here nor there. But just to uh, impress upon you all, like how wild that is to be able to do that given the circumstances. Um, She totally did use Kill Baby's pants in the parachute. By the way, like even though she was like, you did too much. She did use his clothes. Bro was eh? (laughs) wilding. He was. He one hundred percent. When Sakamoto shook the water off of his cheek when they uh, when they were like on the beach, that was hilarious. But apparently his slides are just undefeated. He didn't lose a slide. Did you notice that? Like yeah. like like they came out the water. He no, never he still loses had his a slide, slides, bro. On, bro. <laughs> um, and then it looks like she's finally piqued Sakamoto's interest. Like he's starting to see like, wait, there's more to her than meets the eye. And you know, you and I have both been talking about her in the sense that there's a reason why she's in here. She's got to have some type of ability, right? Um, The flashback about her being told to fix a button and forget the assassin stuff is interesting. Uh, I wouldn't say like she has an abusive background. It just seems like her dreams were never supported, right? Like if you go back to Mm -hmm. chapter 58, my parents say I'd make a better housekeeper than assassin. It kind of makes me think, and I'm gonna throw this theory out here right now because that's what we do, right? It makes Mm -hmm. me think that, Maybe she comes from a family of assassins who could be considered elite and she's the black sheep. Right. Um, yeah. that being said they all landed on the Island. Right. And they've all passed except for kill baby. Who's like, I'm just happy to be alive. Um, but kind goody is still a problem, but he's not a problem for right now. They've effectively passed the test. Now it's time for them to go back to the next phase of the original mission. Right. Which was to what find more information on slur, and by extension, maybe figuring out who the next recruit is going to be for Slur. All in mm-hmm. all, I'm hyped for the next chapter. Um, what were your thoughts, Matt? Um,
1: I thought it was an exciting chapter all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakamoto Days very rarely uh, has delivered a bad chapter. And I can't really think of an actual bad chapter. This is
0: 61 chapters deep, y'all.
1: 61 chapters deep. Again, you know, recency bias and stuff like that. but right it never, uh, I'm never laboring through Sakamoto days. Right. And there's some manga that I I love that I've labored through some chapters. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoyed, like you were saying, all of the animation uh, of the cheeks and stuff like that. And (laughs) honestly, like, the entire chapter takes place in a free fall. Yes. So um, it's just one of those things where the whole time I was looking at it, I also thought it was funny, was like, she has this skill to sew all of these random ass materials together mm-hmm. while falling 120 miles an hour, mm-hmm. essentially to her death, but she can't fucking swim.
0: <laughs> That's good. That is good juxtaposition.
1: I was like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, she can't swim. Like, you know, Sakamoto pulled out the water and stuff, but... Um, Still in also- his slides. <laughs> Still in his slides, of course. Um, now, but the one thing I will say though, is, I thought it was interesting when they showed her background and showed like the blacked out face, and that could have just been a panel and just been like it doesn't matter who that person is, you know mm-hmm.
2: it
1: could have been a situation where who that person was wasn't as important as just the message or right on the flip side of that, it could be that that person is gonna matter, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying um mm-hmm. nothing, nothing is for nothing, right. You know, nothing is happening in this series for no reason. So um, I'm definitely curious to see how it'll go. I'm curious to see what's going to happen in the next chapter. And I'm so far just really, really kind of enjoying this. I guess you could say tournament-esque arc or whatever is happening. I mean, you know, all, most anime, at least, they have this sort of format. They go to this point at some point. But I thought right. it was really cool. Uh, I thought it was really cool having it be like just the whole way that this setup happened. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The plane gets blown up. They're all falling out of the plane. But before that, there's pretty much like a free for all on the plane.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it's yet again, another chapter that just has me really excited to see what's going to happen next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the long short of it because you hit most of the stuff on the head.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? Um, Not too late to jump on the Sakamoto train. I'm going to do it every week at this point. Yeah, we got to. It's not too late. 61 chapters deep. If you haven't done it, do it. It's worth it. Like, I, you will be taken by surprise. I feel I remember, like if you
1: got time to listen to the podcast,
0: you got time to read Sakamoto days. 100%. Just read a chapter. Just read a chapter. You're going to read it and you're going to be like, what is this artwork? This is like, man. And then you're going to, you will get to that one panel where you'll just be like, what? And if that doesn't hook you, maybe Sakamoto isn't for you. But for most of us, that's what hooked us. It'll hook you to get in on this. No other thoughts. Take us to the next one, my guy.
1: All right. Well, our next one that we're going to go into is Ayashiman uh, by Yuji Kaku. Shout out. Um, we're currently on chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, hard reading. Binge it. You can start reading Ayashiman. You can literally be caught up by the next episode. Binge it. Just binge. It. It's 14 chapters. Um, so here we go. We got Ayashiman chapter 14. This uh chapter, I almost said episode. This chapter was called What About You? now where we pick up uh we pick up where we left off pretty much from Marrow getting his ass handed to him by Cotton uh mm-hmm. so far and we get an answer to what we were wondering last mm-hmm. week was he laughing or what and turned out his crazy ass was laughing he's um so on that crazy side <laughs> and by let me go ahead and give a reference to who I'm talking about Marrow so we start out with the main character Marrow he's still laid out in the street from when Cotton hit him but he's acknowledging the fact his blood is starting to get pumping now and you know much like many other uh kind of like hard nosed protagonists and in, in shonen they want to get beat up a little bit so they can be like yeah now it's time you know um but what i thought was really cool was we find out that marl's hearing a voice and he's like yo is this in my head are you here and it mm-hmm. turns out that the the tattoo that he got on his back from Rara also operates as a means for them to communicate. Like a little walkie-talkie. Yeah, like a little walkie-talkie. And she was able to communicate with him, and she was explaining Cotton's ability to him, so he would kind of have a better understanding of what was happening and how he can fight him. Mm-hmm. Um, because so far, Cotton is just zipping around, crack him, zip, crack, zip, crack, you know, and he can't do anything about it. So... She was telling him, like, essentially the way his ability works is all of his stats are all pushed towards him being fast. Mm-hmm. It's all aimed towards speed that his defense is very low. So the best thing for her to, for him to do is to not try to take him on head on mm-hmm. and, you know, essentially like angle off, try to get off, you know, try to get an attack. Right. Marl does not do that. <laughs> he sees this guy coming. He's like, "Yeah, let's go." And Cotton believes that he's just run him over, and it turns out that Morrow grabbed his scarf, and he's holding on for dear life because this is the closest he could get to getting a hold on this guy. And we have, in I don't know how many times, how many chapters, it's been questioned. But yet again, we have another person question if Morrow is a human being, <laughs> right? Then we have another demon, another yokai. Or we another just, Ayashiman, I'm sorry, questioning yeah. if Maro is a person, if right. he's a regular human being, <laughs> right. being able to hold on to Cotton and um, and follow him, which is also funny because Arara clearly calls him an idiot for even doing what he was able to do. Right. So Maro's holding on and Cotton is just trying to burn him off. So he's just going faster and faster and faster. And we see Maro kind of pull himself up Cotton scarf and he finally lands a punch. Right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: However, um, when he lands the punch, it kind of goes through Cotton's body and Cotton kind of unravels itself and then re-ravels himself and takes off again. And he explains to him that his attack didn't have any passion in it. He didn't put his soul in it. He said, just brute strength doesn't work. So here we're getting a little bit more uh, explanation about this world sort of, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, I believe that's going to be something that will eventually become part of like, you know, their power scaling or their power system or however that operates. Right. Mm-hmm. For Ayashima, where he was saying, like, you didn't put any soul into that and, you know, it wasn't going to do any damage. And, you know, that's pretty much what uh, I put in my notes. He said, that's what a ritual duel is. It's a battle of souls, not strength. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there was no like conviction in what he was doing, which I thought was interesting.
0: Um, especially after the whole, uh, dude, I like telling him the coolest head, you know? Yeah. I, don't know.
1: Uh, I thought that was interesting. Cause I was like, I, I thought it was going to work. I mean, yeah. clearly everybody else thought it was going to work too. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, man, I, uh, I, I thought that that was cool. Ultimately we see that he ends up taking Marl up to the top of a building you know, when Marl's holding on to him, he runs up a building and jumps off of it. And Marl's looking and he's like, yo, what is going on? And he kicks him off and Marl can't hold on to him anymore. And he pretty much tells him, you lose. So we see Marl essentially falling down the side of this skyscraper. And before we can see ultimately what the result of this fall is going to be, we cut over to 10, who we are reminded is fighting the second in command behind Cotton. Mm -hmm. And... He punches uh, where we left off in the last chapter. He was about to punch 10 in the top of the head and he does that. And it turns out, <laughs> I thought this was kooky as hell. This is like a
0: silly power,
1: silly ass power that essentially whatever he hits will now operate as a wheel. So when he punched 10 in the top of his head, his head spun around his body like a tire going <laughs> down his torso and up his back in circles until it stopped. And I was just like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then after he's like, oh, you're pretty dizzy, huh? And he just kicks him, and it was like, but there's another technique to that. That's that's just my kick. It was like, oh my that God. Dude.
0: What the yeah. hell? That was fun. Um,
1: and you know, so he's pretty much putting them down, and you know, they, it everything pretty much looks bad for them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things look bad for 10. We still don't know what happened tomorrow, but I'm just going to jump out the window and say his ass is fine. Because this is the same guy that just said oh it's not like i haven't been hit by a car before in the last chapter which was insane right um but we saw a little bit of what you said about 10 where you said i think 10 is going to surprise us and we see right at the end that 10 forms his mask his uh, mask for his yokai form and we've Mm -hmm. never seen him do that right right um and he was kind of uh incensed and, and sort of pushed into that by hearing this guy kind of bad mouth Maro and Urara, and he was like you know you can talk about me all you want to but you know we see that Ten has an immense amount of respect for Urara and for um and for Mauro so yeah. that was just something he just couldn't stand on and I, I respect that um, yeah. so I'm very curious to see what his yokai form is going to be since seemingly that's what it looks like he's about to do right um you know, by formulating his mask. So we finished a chapter with him about to put his mask on over his face and saying that, you know, he's a proud member of the Arara gang and uh, we'll see what his form is next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I kind of don't really have a review since I was reviewing it as I was pretty right. much saying what happened. Right. Uh, but overall, I think it was another good chapter. I think the artwork in this was really good and it really kind of, um, they do a good job of showing the speed. Yeah. They do a good job of like, especially like the one panel where we see like Marl's eyelids are flying back and his jaws flying open, but he's holding on. Yeah. And it's like, I also just can't wait to see what will ultimately become of this kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like knowing what his powers are now and the power scaling and all of that. I'm very curious as to like, what is he going to evolve into? Yeah. um, Eventually, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much my thoughts man. what did, How do you feel? How do you feel about ayashima?
0: Uh, I thought it was a good chapter, but touching on what you said too during the summary about uh, your summary slash review about mm-hmm. um, his attack not having any soul in it, it made me think of one piece and hockey um, like like hockey is that is that like key thing in one piece where you'll see, like if you've ever seen Luffy's like Gear four snake man form or like some of the other characters who have hockey like basically anyone who has the ability to uh challenge for seeking the one piece of world, like where mm-hmm. like the extremities kind of turn black or a different color right I wonder if that's if if that's kind of what's happening here in Ayashiman with the your attack needs a little bit more soul to it but that could also be a throwaway theory. Uh, I was just it just it's just something that popped into my head. But um actually going into my thoughts uh for this review, um it looks like whenever he's pushed to the limit, I'm speaking of Maduro, he has that eyes rolled into the back of his head and he starts laughing. Cause this isn't the first time we've seen him be in this like euphoric slash manic state. Uh I appreciate the art of the blood flowing through his veins. It made me think of Takamura. Um, but they mm-hmm. took it a little bit too far in epo <laughs> You know what I'm they talking about. They took it about. way <laughs> too far. Yeah, I ain't even going go yeah, to go there. But yeah, I laughed you know a little I mean? bit when you just said it. <laughs> uh, um, talking about how he gets hyped up. And it made me think, like, this is his warm-up state. Like, his engine is now revving with, like, maximum efficiency. And it also mm-hmm. made me think of the question, too. Like, those earlier fights in this series where he finally gets a little busted up by an Ayashima. Was this his first time entering the state? Because we also have to remember that up to meeting Urara, he's never truly been challenged, right? All his fights were just a one and done. And he's always been bored, right? Going back to even when he beat his dad, he was pissed off at his dad for for him not being a challenge. So it's like, is he getting used to uh, getting into this manic state of his, if you will? I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. thought it was interesting. Um, And then... For a second, too, I was confused when Arara was actually communicating with him. Because I thought it was like astral plane. And then it kind of zoomed out to show too. that that Cotton yeah. was there. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is like on some Power Rangers stuff. Like, like, like you're just going to let him do his thing? You're just going to be respectful of that? All right, do you, I guess. Um, But I, I appreciated it, though. That was kind of cool, like how... Like you know, you talked about the the tattoo serving as a communication platform, but the two of them, I thought that was kind of cool too.
1: Now let me ask you this. Go do ahead. You feel like do you feel like um, the tattoo was like a walkie-talkie, or was she, or was he hearing her internally?
0: I don't know if it's two way, right? I, mm-hmm. I I feel like well, no, no, no. I mean, do you think anybody else could hear no, that, no, or was no, okay. only Morrow able to? hear I think it was only Morrow. I feel like uh, I don't know if Ten has a tattoo yet, but I wonder if. If she applies it to 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 ten, especially like he's gonna get some type of character development, which will probably solidify him in her eyes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she blesses him with the tattoo as well. I wonder if it could be like a three-way calm or whatever between the two of them. But uh, I definitely think it's like it, it's not open to outside ears, if that makes sense.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that Arara as a grounding, calming presence for Maro is cool, but it makes me think that at some point, and I could be wrong, this manga is still in its infancy. I don't know if this will ever get out to, to somebody else, but it makes me think that what if an antagonist finds out that that's how their relationship works to a certain degree and takes advantage of that to, like, defeat Mauro, right? Mm. Like, like if he can't keep his head cool, he's going to make some mistakes and something like that. But, again, this is just hyper, super hypothetical, at, with a series that's still in its infancy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we got to shout out Maro's grip strength. Remember, he's holding on Ooh. to the equivalent of a scarf or like a bandana, right? And I don't at know if you guys have ever... like at mock, at like mock speeds. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever just like tried to play tug of war with like a pet or anybody else with like a scarf or a bandana, but it's so hard to hold on to something that small. Bro, they like, say
1: that he was like... Oh no! They were saying the uh they were referring to the barrier that they set up. I was about to say I was like because it seemed like he was breaking the sound barrier, which yeah. he clearly was with that yeah. you know
0: the way the artist John you see the wave sonic behind boom. him yeah.
1: yeah Yeah. you got a sonic boom broke sound barrier so and he's Mato breaking was holding the sound on barrier
0: through that <laughs> so he's Man. just built different different um, and of course so the way I I saw it like yes I I didn't think I should like because you bring up. look look at that like trash ass me trying to get my words together but (laughs) but the but you bringing up the fact that uh model was attacked didn't have enough soul to it made me rethink this but i'm gonna say it anyway i thought it was cotton simply moving the location of his engine um because i wouldn't be surprised like he he's a former enma syndicate executive right under Mm -hmm. keo so i wouldn't be surprised if this dude has learned to Maneuver his weaknesses, right? Like, like it's not unheard of to hear of uh some type of antagonist who has the ability to like shape shift, if you will, right? Yeah. Moving that one part of them that Kakuzu. Yeah, you know what I mean, like that, that. Moving their their weakness around, right? So I'm just like, okay, maybe that was the case here. But also, I like the theory of it doesn't have enough soul because that's how the one on ones go down. It's a battle of the souls. So I don't know. I think I think your theory has more weight here. Um, but I also think it like it wouldn't be a surprise if a high-level person like that could also move parts of themselves around. Well, um, I mean, to be
1: as meta as Maro is, right? Right. The It's usually through battles and stuff in some scenarios that, you know, like the first time you come up against an opponent in one of these manga, and it's like, well, why isn't this working? You know, they learn in the fight what they need to do to make mm-hmm. it work. So it's like, okay... Marl's and we know Marl's whole thing prior to this is just raw power yeah and it's not like he's like some brute even though they call him that and he even says like beforehand like I would just, just as soon if I got too excited I just, just stop thinking people. yeah I just stopped thinking and start swinging yeah but we know that he has raw power just simply based off the fact that he trained himself like his favorite manga so like yeah. When he's a kid, shattering boulders. Boulders, yeah. You know, he threw a car at somebody before. It's like, yeah, this guy's strong. So, yeah, I don't know. I just like how it all played out. But you go ahead. Sorry, I mean,
0: no, you're good, bro. You're good. Um, Then, uh, that being said, right, Mato is in a tight spot, and it looks like he's not going to be in chapter (laughs) Uh, fifteen. I'm kidding, kidding, of course. Or
1: we might be getting chapter fifteen. Could be about ten because we don't get ten to the
0: end. Check this out. Turns out 10's been the protagonist the whole time. <laughs> That'd be crazy, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. That should be um, wild. But I can see Mato just like hulking out and maybe grabbing hold of the building he's falling in front of. Although I don't know the way the, the panel is drawn, we can't tell how far away.
1: He I think is he's kind of far.
0: Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah or he it might looks just like, like he's you falling
1: said, towards the park.
0: He might just pull a black dynamite, land on his feet, and just be fine. Um, But. But yeah, if basically. you've seen the movie Black Dynamite, you know what I'm talking about, when he falls from a helicopter and just, like, lands standing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, like, you touched on We talked about it, uh, like, last episode. He's definitely in for some character development. He's about to prove a lot of people wrong. I don't think he's going to win, per se, because um, I also don't think is out of the fight. But I think he's going to show a lot of heart. as um, Now... I feel like we've seen his yokai form. Remember, like when his when this is gonna sound wrong, when he goes blackface, but like Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about when he goes when he when he when he turns into his like pseudo, I don't know what you want to call. I'm gonna say it's his yokai form. Um, but we have never seen him break out his mask, right? Uh yeah, Mm -hmm. we're definitely gonna see some good growth for him next chapter. But this brings up a question about mass, and there are still a few unknowns in this world that's being built. And, and like Matt, correct me if I'm wrong listeners if you think i'm wrong like hit me up for, for real like bang our line right but um is there a a difference between the yokai form and the mass form right uh do all ayashiman I, i'm just gonna list out all these questions okay do all ayashiman have the ability to pull out their mask why is Arara's sealed in that da- why is her yokai form sealed in that dagger or mm. is it just like Urara's yokai form that's sealed, and she has yet to actually break out her mask. Going back to a theory I had when we started the uh, started reviewing this about maybe that's what in her inheritance is, right? Her actual mask is just in the NMA syndicate where she doesn't have access to it, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, from, wait, hold on, I still, I still oh, have wait, like sorry. one more question. And then, am I just misunderstanding the relationship between yokai and the mask form? Are they separate? Yuji Kaku, we know you're listening. We need these questions answered, and I'm hyped for the next one. What were you about to say, man? What I was going to say was it,
1: it is uh, separate. So that other form is like, uh, you know, where he was like, oh, all I can do is, you know, grab the ceiling or whatever yes. like that. And he goes that, into his blackface mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When ten, <laughs> when 10 goes blackface, that's just, remember they were saying that's actually what he looks like. Right. That's his actual look. So, right. The difference is he's uh, essentially 10 is wearing a disguise when he's just this blonde kid running around. Well, that's like most of them. Right. I want to say like most Ayashiman. No, because he's not as old as some of the other ones are. That's why he's like, remember, you they're all like most of the ayashiman or the, and the demons and stuff. They're all uh, like right. thousands and thousands and thousands of years old because it takes them a hundred years to get a body.
0: Yeah,
1: right. It, it takes a hundred years to even get a body. So, and he even said like, this is what I actually look like. And we never, he never put a mask on, with that he just dropped the disguise. But I think it operates differently for everybody in terms of, you know, how they use their powers or how they activate them or anything like that. Because we don't see Cotton put a mask on.
0: That's true.
1: Cotton didn't form a mask or he didn't pull one out of his jacket or anything like that. He, we never even saw him put that helmet on. We just saw him run. He just got suddenly, pissed off,
0: yeah. And then yeah, he ran, so, and then he's in this form.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I think ultimately we'll see, but I think if I'm not mistaken, they all do operate differently.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's got to there, like it's def, it, it it has to be in the works a chapter where they just dive into Ayashimon history, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to answer all these questions. Yeah. Uh, other than that, though, I ain't got no other thoughts.
1: You want to take us yeah. into
0: kaiju? I I absolutely do. Uh, So we're
1: going to slide over to Kaiju number eight. Um, Hold on, let me just see what chapter this is. I am so sorry. Uh, Well, that's why I do post. I can edit this out. Uh, (laughs) Cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Uh, So we got Kaiju number eight, chapter 57. Kaiju number eight is written by wow. Naoya Naoya Matsumoto, cool. We're gonna post this. So now we're gonna start. No, you over got it right. Oh <laughs> yeah, <Naoya> right. Matsumoto. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> I didn't like how I didn't pronounce it, bro. <laughs> you
0: did it right, dude. But I, got you you, right. I, feel I gotta you. have
1: more faith in me. You're right. Um so yeah, we open up with pretty much uh the first panel is picking up where we left off, which was with um Hoshina talking to monster number 10 mm-hmm. or kaiju number 10, mm-hmm. kind of walking away from it. And so we kind of hear some of the other, uh, some of the other people that are working there just kind of talking about like what could have happened with uh vice commander Hoshina and things like that. And so we hear that a meeting is being held. Um, pretty much to come up with countermeasures, knowing all of the things that have taken place so far with kaiju number nine. Um, and that, Uh, You know, we see everybody is training and we find out when they're looking for uh, Narumi (laughs) that unit number one and unit number three have run into each other. (laughs) And on the outskirts, that seems like, oh, what's the big deal? And it turns out that (laughs) it's beef. Units one and unit three both operate apparently very close to each other within Tokyo. So... (laughs) Obviously, there's a level of uh there's a level of competition, and what we clearly see is the face-off between the entirety of both units facing each other with veins popping out their neck, and you know, those just presumptuous faces that they make at each other and right. stuff like that. And we see <laughs> we see Narumi uh like and he's looking at Hosina. This dude has veins coming out his cheeks, his <laughs> yeah. nose, running under his eyes. His eyes are super like his pupils are super dilated. And he's like, dude, what the hell are you doing over here? Like, and he's like, oh hey, we came to all come together because everybody wants to meet up. And you know they're talking to each other and arguing. And he right. tells them that he doesn't trust a guy that has a bowl cut and fox eyes. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I, it's all, he, this man said, this base is off limits for folks with bowl cuts or fox eyes. And <laughs> you have both of those. And Hoshina hits, hits Norumi with the ultimate ether of letting him know that he beat him before. Right. In, uh, the subjugation course for getting rid of small kaiju. And he just... <laughs> Drops and bubble. right away, <laughs> you see other people uh trying to defend him. Like, don't say that to him, don't tell him, that you yeah. beat him. commander. You got to be able to get up, yeah. and uh, you know, then he fires back at him again. And then <laughs> Hosina hits him with another one, was like, But didn't aren't you like third in the sniper category? Too? <laughs> yeah. It just drops down again, and then ultimately, uh, one of the commanders ends, he brings it in to all the beef or whatever. and we see everybody get together for essentially what's the defense meeting. That's what I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all get together for the defense meeting, and we get a chance to see the commanders of all the other units. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously we got Narumi, uh, you know, commander of the first, and we get the vice commander of the first, and we also see the commander of the second unit. Um, you know, obviously we see Mina, who's the commander of the third unit. Um, we see the commander of the fourth And we get a chance to kind of get a little bit of a look at the personalities of these other commanders, just a little bit, not a lot, Mm -hmm. because they don't all get a lot to say. But, you know, we kind of get the vibe that, you know, the second unit commander who has braces is like really on edge. She's always on 10. Yeah. Um, We get the feeling that, you know, the command, the fourth commander is super lax as he's sitting on this video call with a bottle of (laughs) sake directly in front of him. Like all in the camera, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. then we also see that there's a new chief of the defense force, um, who, you know, who is recently appointed. Taken this, you know, yeah. just recently appointed. Um, and so what we find out, uh, we find out something substantial from Vice Commander Hoshina, uh, when yep. he gets a chance to give his report about what happened when he talked to Kaiju number 10. And what we find out is that Kaiju number nine can reproduce and not only can he create Kaiju, he can create Kaiju that can create Kaiju. Right. Which is a huge, huge deal Um, because monster number 10 essentially tells him that he wants to fight. The reason he wants to fight alongside Hoshina is so he can fight the other Kaiju that came after him and compare his strength to them. Yeah. Um, But the fact that these kaiju are not only creating other kaiju, but they're creating very powerful kaiju. Um, Kaiju that are things that are going to require the entire unit to fight them or the upper echelon of these units to have to fight these guys. Um, You know, knowing that they're producing kaiju with a resilience of a 9.0, you know, which I'm assuming is a sliding scale of at least 10, that's insane. Yeah. Um. So, and, you know, they also just kind of were saying that they're not even prepared for something that's that bad if it's really as bad as Kaiju number 10 was telling them. Mm-hmm. um, And they ultimately came to the conclusion that, yeah, there's a lot of like, not necessarily internal beef, but there are internal rivalries and there's frustration and stuff like that. But, Within this, the only way that they'll be able to win is they're going to have to all work together. And then the last panel we get, we see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, TJ, we essentially see um, the last chief of the defense force now, I guess, partially Kaiju or whatever. And he's sitting in what looks like a cave. On a throne on a throne and there are more kaiju being born kind of coming down from the ceiling really kind of gave me like alien vibes yeah uh, just when I was looking at it
0: definitely see the xenomorph there yeah
1: yeah it gave me real xenomorph alien type of energy Um, and I just kind of felt like man like they're really setting the stage really setting the stakes and they've been taking their time kind of these last few chapters just to kind of give us a little more explanation and I'm not mad at that I'm actually really happy about it and I enjoy that they're setting the stage for something that is going to be what I think is going to ultimately be pretty epic. Um, and it seems like they're setting the stage for something big, per, maybe just to me, but pretty early. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because yeah. again, we're you know not even seventy chapters into this manga, and it's looking like they're feeling like a, a war. final
0: arc. Yeah, and it's
1: feeling like a war. We're not even sixty chapters in. This is chapter fifty-seven. Yeah. Um, but they're you know, they're letting us know how big these stakes are pretty early on. So, you know, uh, overall I thought it was a good chapter, and I'm very curious to see what else is gonna happen uh going forward. And I honestly I want to see more interaction between the other groups and the other captors and stuff. And obviously, it's not gonna end with just this. I think they're all there's gonna still be that rivalry. Um, but you know, hopefully that manifests itself in like in the ways that we see, you know, in these different shows and Shonen and manga, it's like, the rivals are both essentially whooping ass because they want to whoop more ass than their rival does. Right. It's like, yeah, we'll clear all these kaiju out because of this. It was like, oh, I saved you this time, you know, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So
0: That was how I felt. What, what were your thoughts on the chapter, TJ? Um, especially with the last page, it feels like, this is something I hadn't wrote down, but this is something that was just dawning on me as you were speaking, but I get the feeling that Kaiju number eight is here for a good time, not for a long time. Um, plus it's like if you consider the fact that it's it the the it's released every two weeks, sometimes every three weeks. Uh it it just doesn't feel like it's here for a long time, if that makes sense. I'm not speaking to the quality of the story because I think it's very high quality. I just feel like this feels like we're entering a final arc. Right. Especially with last chapter when it like dope, like it gave us that title page, episode six. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like a final arc because, um, I mean, you, you got the perfect antagonist, like Kaiju number nine is parading around as the former director general of the, what was it Japanese Armed Kaiju Defense Force? I'm guessing mm-hmm. what KDF stands for. Right. Um, so, like, and, and of course, you know, you got Kikoru who's essentially, like, there's no way there's not going to be a confrontation between her and the person who stole her father's face. Um, right. But going into my review, um more expo- more exposition in this chapter, but like Matt was saying, this is like the best kind. Like, you need this chapter. It is necessary. This isn't like, I'm sorry to say it, but like, my hero last two chapters. Not not this week. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But uh, last two chapters which could have honestly just been one chapter um this exposition right here was needed um i felt like the chapter definitely started off on the lighthearted tip uh especially with the 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 beef between uh first division and and third division but uh, it quickly got serious uh like and you felt it ramp up like once they got into that conference room the other captains kind of videoed in or whatever it was on um and, you know, it's funny, too, that you brought up the quirkiness of the captains of the other divisions, because it kind of fits into that archetype. Like, usually the strongest do have some some type of quirk, right? You see mm-hmm. that with even uh, the ones we know. Narumi, right? He's like a, a homebody introvert, always playing video games, but he's literally the strongest. Mina, best sniper in the game. Like, the face, really, of the defense force. But she is kind of uh introvert loner in that she doesn't talk much right woman Mm -hmm. of very few words and then like it's yeah the strongest usually have some type of quirk and i thought we saw a little bit of that on display now will we see any chapters where they dive into these divisions not until it's battle time i feel like we won't see their abilities until it's battle uh it's time for battle if that makes sense um at least that's what i think now um I think that at the end of the day, Ten is just a fight fiend. He doesn't, he doesn't get, he just wants to fight. Like whether it's uh, Hoshina, right? Fighting Hoshina, fighting with Hoshina, fighting his like quote unquote siblings. The dude just wants to fight, right? Like I even put down, is his goal to fight the finished products or is his goal to just fight Hoshina? Um, He just wants to smoke at the end of the day. I think he just wants to fight period. Yeah. It's like yeah, well if I can I know
1: that y'all going to be fighting. Let me get let in. Me, get, let me get in on that. Right. Cuz right, I mean um, he literally says to him, I want to fight against the polished products that were born yeah. through me.
0: Yeah. Um I feel like there's definitely some significance to the prototype being a 9.0 right off the rip uh, in terms of the fortitude. And it just and he's this, and he's considered unpolished. Yeah, and like it just raises the stakes. Like this, the reason why this was so important is because it raises this chapter raises the stakes even higher. Now, questions I have. Um, in order to get that information from 10, has the exchange happened, right? Remember, Hoshina had to exchange his body. Has that part of the deal been handled yet? Right? Because we don't know how much time has elapsed between last chapter. And this conference in this chapter. So has that part of the deal been done? Right. Um well,
1: it hasn't been too much time. Um, but
0: he he did agree. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, did, he, agree. he, he Remember, did agree. Remember, he
1: said, let's just make he said, well, let's make one thing clear. I'll be using you. You're not gonna you be, using be using
0: me. me. But I'm saying, like, will we get a flashback to him getting that information? I mean, we kind of did, but you know what I mean? Like, what is the bargain complete as of the conference is what i'm getting at
1: yeah i think I don't more think than anything so. else i think the the agreement was made but now we gotta see you know how are they going to implement 10 because it makes me think
0: are we are we just going like will we get the training arc chapters or are we going to go time skip directly to the war uh next question i have right that final panel Nine does not look super stable trying to hold these owls form, right? And we've seen before whenever, like, he's got to swap humans every, like, after a certain period of time because he'll struggle to maintain their form after a little bit, right? It
1: looked like, to me, he was trying to form it. Like,
0: it looked like, you know, he's sitting in his lair and he's kind of putting his body together. That, it was, like, ambiguous like that. To me, it looked like it was on its way out. Um, but that's fair, Right. Um, I'm just saying that because we've seen in the past chapter like when he was on the run from um, the cleanup department right Uh, Kafka's former employer like escaping from like that last battle between him and the JKDF like he assumed somebody else's identity because uh, and then he was at a new hiding spot he's like oh it looks like this body's starting to wear out let me grab another one so that's why that's why I thought of that um I still want Kafka and Hoshina to have some type of resolution and th- just to give Kafka a chance to say sorry and also to just get that power where it's like Hoshina's like bro it's all good i know you're on our side blah 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 um then i guess the bigger question i have is what is Nine's origin uh cuz we still don't really know that is mm-hmm. it linked to that mini kaiju that invaded Kafka's body there are so many unknowns there right Everyone is shocked to find out that a kaiju can create another kaiju. So this has got to be unprecedented, like, right? Because like all their faces when they were like, wait, what he did, what? Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it seems like even with all the knowledge they've gleaned from battle, from cleanup, that they're still not fully aware of how kaijus originate. And then you throw something like this. It's like, what? You know? um, And again, like, are we headed for a time skip? Maybe. It would also be nice to get a better sense of the other division's heavy hitters' abilities, but like I mentioned earlier, right, like, I feel like that's going to be saved for the actual battle. Uh, All in all, this chapter is really setting the tone, and I guess, like, the defense force only has as much time as it takes for Nine to launch its next attack. Like, it feels like they're running on borrowed time, basically. Um, yeah because they, he has
1: the element of surprise on his exactly
0: side. you don't know when he's gonna pop back. exactly up. we don't know what stage those kaijus that are in those cocoons are in right right you mm-hmm. know what i mean like we don't know how long that uh we don't even know how many there is. are exactly like but we know like it looks like a cave's worth of them but mm-hmm. um and we don't even know how big that cave is but no, nah. excellent chapter man uh excellent chapter i got nothing else
1: well, if that's cool, then go ahead and slide us into that, that uh, the highlight reel.
0: Listen, uh, just to kind of pre-frame us getting into Jujutsu Kaisen and Yuta's highlight reel, also known as another thing Matt has said, Yuta's and one mixtape. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be the shortest Jujutsu Kaisen review I've ever done. And you'll see why based off the strength of my first senses of my review. But let's get into it. Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, by Gege Akutami, this is chapter 177, entitled Sendai Colony, Part 4, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, previous chapters, last panel, we see Yuta saying, let's bring this close. And then Ishigori responding with, will that satisfy the Hangarokotsu, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As usual, as we get into the summary, let me just mention the rogues we are currently dealing with, right? We have Ryu Ishigori, aka the Pompadour, Granite Blast, and then we have Takako Udo, the Floater, who can manipulate the surface of like the sky, right? And she actually has a really cool power that I definitely want to see animated. Man. Uh it's especially in this chapter. Like she did something that was equivalent to an Olympic hammer throw. And I had to look up what that, that thing was called. Like where it's not the shot put, it's that thing where it's like the shot put yeah, ball I know exactly what on you the chain, about. you know? Yeah. Um, I had to look that up because that's what it reminded me of instantly. And <laughs> let's just get into it, right? So <laughs> it looks like Takako isn't the only one who was dead once. It sounds like Ishigori was dead at some point too. And the reanimate like I put like, he was brought back with the reanimation jutsu too, right? Shout out Naruto. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it looks like this calling game also brought him back, which kind of makes sense too. That pompadour is hella out of date in terms of style. That's neither here nor there. But uh, he says that he never had dessert. It's like he compares this whole thing about his previous life and the calling game and fighting to just him not having an actual meal with a dessert. Right. Like he said that his previous life, he did all right, but he never got to like, I guess, push his limits or, or take it as far as he wanted to that quote unquote dessert. Um, mm-hmm. we immediately see though, cause one of the questions I had was like, Hey, is he good at close range? Well, yes, he is right. Turns he out. is not just a long range fighter. The man, has close range combat abilities that seem to be on par with Yuda's. If anything, like he's winning the close range exchange, right? Uh with mm-hmm. some that like the way Yuda explains like his offense capabilities, it was something like similar to a black flash. Um, I wouldn't call yeah. it that, but it was definitely similar. And what like when he repels Yuda after that one exchange, he's quick to cover the distance and launch another granite blast, which Yuda deflects with his bare hands, right? Um to launch a strike at Ishigodi's pompadour, it's like, all right, if this is a cannon that's blasting all these granite blasts, might as well just destroy the cannon. But he gets bounced back by another granite blast. So it looks like there's not any, like, um, like recharge period in them. Like, I guess based on the amount of curse energy Ishigodi has, like, that's not a problem for him. Um, but this time, during the second granite blast attack, we see that Takako's waiting for him in the wings. And she just hits him with an attack she calls a Thin Icebreaker, which... That was actually kind of cool to see. Um, mm-hmm. Ishigori did not like that, so it's it's not it's it's basically three on three, or not even three on three. It's it's, it's everyone a three for way themselves. fight. Yeah, three way fight. It's everyone for themselves. Um, and he's pissed that she interfered between him and Utah, and he launches a granite blast at her. Right, and basically this confirms that you know it's basically everyone for themselves, uh, and they're not necessarily shooting the fair one. If we're if we're being in all if we're all being in agreement, right? It's not really a fair one, it's just a melee at this point, right? Now, as mm-hmm. he's launching that granite blast, this is where I was talking about that Olympic hammer throw, she warps the surface around the granite blast, twirls that around herself, and throws it right back at him. And like it was funny the comment Ishigori made about it packing a while because he's never been on the receiving end of his own like you know, strength, his own ability. So that was pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um you're just
1: like, damn, that kind of hurts.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, Is this what I've been doing to people? Um, but Yuda rises from the rubble, and we see that some of our suspicions were correct. because uh, we talked about this. I want to say if it wasn't last chapter or last episode was one before. But he has been using his reverse curse technique to not just go on the offensive with uh Kuro Rushi, but also to heal himself, right? Um, Yuda then makes some assumptions based on what he has determined from battling Uro. That's Takako and Ishigori. And he now thinks it's safe to break out his trump card. Last panel. Come, Rika. Ooh. Give me everything with the engagement ring glowing. Now on to my review. Um, first sentence. Nothing in this chapter matters except for the last panel. This is why this <laughs> is going to be my shortest review. Because, I mean, it, it doesn't. Like it yeah. doesn't matter. Like it's over now. <laughs> it's over. It's <laughs> now over. Now it's done. <laughs> listen, it, it it does none of this stuff that happened matters now that he's bringing out now he's bringing out Rika. Well, essentially I mean, what he just did was gave himself a limitless battery just listen, then. Like, listen like cool. Listen. Oh, you guys think I'm out? Okay, hold on. Girl, hey, it's time. Now that being I mean, I I okay, when I say it was my last review, it doesn't mean like my review is only a sentence. And I get so what I, you mean, though. I still had a paragraph, but it's like Okay, let's just get let's just get into the rest of this, right? Uh, Yudo had been doing good already, but bro, how cold is the Kamrika? Give me everything, right? Like that last panel was just so cold. And going back to the reverse curse thing earlier too, it's like remember when he was deflecting that granite blast? You saw it was like cutting into his face. Now mm-hmm. his face was partially obscured by his hand and the engagement ring, but it looked like some of those wounds were already healing. And I I would assume it's because of the reverse curse technique, right? Um, That being said, man, Ishigori was super formidable in battle, man. Um, Mm -hmm. Odo's thin icebreaker was pretty cool, too, because it looks like she manipulated the sky surface to absorb most of the kinetic energy coming off of uh, Yuda being bounced back at her. And Mm -hmm. then she just popped that energy right back into him and just, like, sent him flying into that building. Uh, And, of course, dude, when she says, shut up, dickhead, not only was mm. that hilarious, but come on, man, you know that's going to be cold to see animated. Yeah. Her warping that granite blast like that, dude, that was pretty... That was, like, top tier. Uh, dude, and already, she, like, when when we saw her, was it last chapter the one before where she pulled the sky like it was a curtain? That yeah, was and that was what she sick. did again. She yeah. just... When he shot that
1: blast, she grabbed it out of the air and just threw it right back. Just it spun was, it in a
0: circle. That was top tier artwork, man. Like, how do you even... Like, what, what do you use as a reference to draw something like that? You're looking at no water or something, man? Clue. I don't know,
1: man. I have no clue, but I thought that shit was hard.
0: That was, yeah, that was cool. Um, when it comes down to it, bro, I think Ishigori is just that trope of a character, maybe a little grizzled, you know what I mean, who's just looking for a challenging fight. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's always that, like, one character who's like, I don't care about, you know, what this battle is for. I just want that fight. I just want that smoke. I just want to live. It Made me mm-hmm. think of a uh, battle beast from Invincible. Uh, whether you've watched yeah. the cartoon, no, or I know, the, I know about battle the Be- comics, right? You, you know, okay, so you know, you, okay, <laughs> like, so you know how it goes down in the comics, but um, mm-hmm. but that being said, he's not as insane as Battle Beast is, but same vibe, same energy, um, but again. Uh, this might be my first ever light review of a Jujutsu Kaisen chapter because, again, everything is dwarfed by that last panel. Here's my prediction. This is chapter 177, correct? hmm So this is chapter 177. All right. Udo and Ishigori are not going to make it to chapter 179. Uh, they are going to get mollywopped next week for sure. Ain't no way they aren't. That's, that's all I got to say. Once he said, come Rika, give me everything, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah, uh, it was
1: like he clearly was trying to wait it out. Like, yeah. All right, I guess I'm gonna have to do this to you audience. Perfect segue for your thoughts, bro. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um
0: my bad. No, not at all. Like I had nothing else. This is all you now. <laughs>
1: Dude, I thought this chapter was great. Uh it was another just all action chapter. Uh, you know, we we do see you to get a little bit put on the back foot. Uh, I thought it was crazy seeing him block that granite blast with his hand. Yeah. And again, just going back to what I said last week, these motherfuckers have to think of so many things. Like, there's so many things that they have to factor in. So many things that they have to factor, you know, during a battle, uh, whether that's, you know, an attack or how to defend it. And, you know, knowing that Yuta has been u- using the the reverse curse technique, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to... the try to nullify some of the damage and even punching that blast like kind of full force punching them right in that pompadour trying to trying to stop that blast. I think the whole thing has just been interesting. But now it's done man. Yeah. Because like I don't know man. I'm just put it like this. Again, they've literally explained to us that Rika is a limitless supply of cursed energy. Yeah. And they were saying we well, must be pretty tired. It's like, well, maybe or maybe not. Um, but he's just like, yeah. Let me just go ahead and go get my charger.
0: Yeah, so You don't he see just what's going to happen you all now. Yeah. Um.
1: I also thought it was cool when they both kind of did that. Um. The shoulder block. Yeah. But Yuta got sent off. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it was more cursed energy put behind the other guys. So I thought that was really, really dope. Um. I was, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't actually have much to say about this chapter other than it was really good. Yeah. And this this arc has been delivering. Yeah. This arc has been delivering from jump. Yeah. But that's pretty much my thoughts on it.
0: I feel like this is the first Jujutsu Kaisen chapter where, well, it's not the first, but where the last panel just trumped. I ah, I hate. It. I had to use that word but the last mm-hmm. panel just like really took the shine from the whole chapter <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. like like, because like, like I mean every I feel like everybody's reading who, who's reading this chapter right now it's like oh it's a wrap next one like you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying <laughs> like looks like it's over for the Sendai colony now that being said though too like uh we always got to mention remember what Yuda's goal is he's got to get to 400 points so he's got to get 100 points four times so we can add four new rules so we'll see how that works uh, going forward but man if he's already summoning his limitless supply and also like Rika isn't just a su- limitless supply of curse energy he's also a force too so
1: yeah it's a wrap you I mean this could end up being a two on two yeah you know what I'm saying and it's yeah, it ain't really a fair two on two if Rika is the two
0: yeah yeah um man shall I take us into my hero you should Let's go into My Hero off of the high of Jujutsu Kaisen. Now, mm-hmm. I struggled last week with uh, the chapter. That's not the case this week. This was This is finally some action. But um, My Hero Academia, right, by Kohei Horikoshi, right, chapter 346 titled Super Hyper Unfair Broken Stage. I like that type, uh, chapter title, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Previous chapters, last panel. I, we kind of missed this. I missed this in my analysis, but... Toga basically had a cable wrapped around her lingual, uh, little finger, which is like hella symbolism about her having uh, Izuku wrapped around her little finger. Um, mm-hmm. But that was the previous chapter's last panel, but we didn't go, this, this chapter, we're not going into Toga, the Nomu, uh, and Deku with a uh, uh, Aravity and Froppy, right? And also shout out Gang Orca, who was in that mix. The, what we're going into is we're going right into Shigaraki, uh, dealing with, man, who can we name? Mirko, uh, uh Sun Eater, uh, uh, Dynamite, a.k.a. Bakugo, right? We got uh, Monoma in the mix. We got uh, Aizawa Head in the mix as well. Best Genus. How could I forget Best Genus? Um, then we also have, uh, um, I, don't, I don't know the hero's name, but basically the dude who can manipulate water, produce water jets, and he was like mm-hmm. one in charge of keeping... Uh, Aizawa's eyes from drying out. Now he's doing the same thing from own, But uh, I'm going a little bit too far. Let me get to the summary, right? Right. It's basically Shigaraki versus that whole crew that I just enumerated. Um, the Shigaraki crew that I was
1: expecting Deku.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shigaraki's basically trying to get his bearings after being teleported right into this zone. Um, that being said, he wastes no time to activate his decay quirk, only to find out that the heroes were ready for that. And we then get some exposition into how everyone from the heroes to the support team to the admins lent their strength into building this zone that was designed from the ground up to deal with Shigaraki. Now there's an important caveat there in that. It was designed to, to deal with uh to deal with Shigaraki's quirk, but also to deal with the state of Shigaraki that they last saw him in during Jaku. All
1: right? I'm so so this isn't
0: this isn't necessarily perfect Shigaraki that they were prepared for, right? just the mm-hmm. last version of shigaraki that they had seen this is important now um but this like best genus kind of kicks off this whole uh, bit of exposition and it culminates in the we are those who stand against the doom you bring uh line right and mm-hmm. then shigaraki's like okay cool let me crush their hopes by using a shockwave but then it was, it was one of those infomercials with like but wait there's more right Right. Only to have his quirk frozen in place by Monoma, who I have to say, uh is doing a lot, right? Uh he copied Aizawa's quirk and is having his eyes continuously moistened. Unfortunately, that can only stop one quirk. And the idea was for this to stall Shigaraki enough so that Midoriya with his all for um uh, sorry, one for all, oof, right <laughs> with his one yeah, for all you didn't get you too. Hand- man could handle the rest, right? Mm -hmm. Mirko unfortunately takes one for the team um I didn't really like that I'll get into it in a little bit but the last panel I used to think you were so cool you turned out to be quite the letdown eraser head uh uttered by Shigaraki let's get into the review AFO all for one's consciousness might be in Shigaraki after all why uh we see that one line and hey don't take over my head this time me Uh, The me there has to be a reference to all for one. But again, we, we still don't really know what's going on there. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Like they've been separated 10 kilometers, but like, we still don't know what that means. Like, are they communicating? So on and so forth. There's still a lot of unknowns there. Um, Also it looks like his pupils just aren't there. Right. Like there's something about the way Shigaraki has been drawn since he's achieved this perfect state coming out of the cocoon where it's like his hair isn't just like white, it it seems to be almost glowing ish. I don't know how to like, like not quite ultra instinct, but you, I I think a lot of people understand what I mean, when I say this, right. It's, 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 it's got a life of its own. Um, Yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe there's a quirk associated with that too. We're not 100% sure what all his capabilities are yet. And this also factors into what I was talking about before, right? Like this is now a perfect state Shigaraki that they're dealing with. Now, um, Mirko is all about that smoke, and I love it, right? She's instantly like, who cares what we're doing? Let's just go fight, you know? And unfortunately, she kind of takes one for the team, but it's what what it is. Now, um, it looks like the way this zone has been built, it's like uh, there are sensors inside of the floor that detect any time that the decay is triggered so any area that gets hit by that decay, right, gets immediately ejected into the air. And then that floor, that bit of floor is replaced. Now, and
1: it's it destroyed. Yeah, Don't it's destroyed.
0: That. It's destroyed and replaced, right? And then immediately they have a barrier up top, which is like a electromagnetic, I believe is what they said. But it sends mm-hmm. a shock to, um, to Shigaraki because he's ejected along with those panels he tried to decay, right? So it sends a shock, which will momentarily disrupt his thinking, will momentarily like lock up his muscles, which all things considered, isn't enough to stop him. It's just enough to delay him. So we see like best genus kind of like restrain him a little bit further with some fibers, right? Um, But you know, it's like, that's that's not gonna do much without Deku being there, uh, all things considered, right? Uh, I thought it was interesting to note, too, and this is something I've wondered about Genus for a while, but, like, is his ability to control fibers only limited to clothing? Could he control organic, like, muscle fibers? Because if no. he can, if he can, that would, no, it's not. Yeah, that would be OP. No, not. Yeah, they explained it before. They
1: okay. explained it early on. It's, it's just any any clothing fiber, he got it.
0: Okay, okay. Because so I'd be like, he would be OP if that were the case. Man. Thank God he would be a hero. We hope, right? Um, Hopefully. But, yeah, I was going to be like, if he could control muscle fibers, Shigaraki would just not be a problem. Um, And it was cool to know that, like, you know, Genus, along with the other heroes, they're not just on the floor. They're actually on these floating platforms, too. So I guess that's another way to make sure, like, they have something under their feet. Now, albeit they still have to, like, jump around to these different platforms, but it's like, at least they don't have to worry about the ground underneath them decaying. Right, if they're yeah. trying to mount some type of attack against Shigaraki. And I'm assuming too, it was also designed with Deku in mind, because you know how Deku moves around now, right? Mm-hmm. Um I laughed at, you know, Kaminati, Denki, aka Chargeable, uh Bro. looking like he's going Super Saiyan. And it made hey, me think like loving it. How long is he gonna be stuck in idiot mode uh after this battle? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because oh, like gosh, when he fully yeah. discharges, you know, he goes like a little stupid for a little bit. Fries um, himself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Basically, uh, and I hope they're paying Manoma by the hour and by the quirk that he copies, because that's two Ooh. major quirks that he's had to copy so far. Are there boy, more? They running
1: that boy in the ground,
0: my dude. Listen, Ren and Mule, you feel me? Um, are there more? Right. Uh, even with all the pre- uh, precautions that they're they're taking to create the zone, one Deku and all uh, one for all. I almost got caught again. Deku and one for all were probably the key to this battle being in their favor, right? For two, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned, their counterattacks were based on the state of Shigaraki during uh, the Battle of Jakku, right? They haven't seen his perfect form yet up until the start of this battle. Um, Shigaraki then goes like full Tetsuo from Akira and like Kawaki from Boruto and unfortunately like attacks Mirko. Now it's just a panel so I'm not going to assume that Mirko is gone for good, but i really hope she's not taken out of the fight she keeps like i i i don't like her taking l's right? um she's such a dope hero like i don't like her taking L's. so i hope that she's not down for the count but um my conclusion and my uh my thoughts it's like this was a way better chapter than the last week's for me um like way way better but yeah man uh I thought that last panel with Shigaraki's pupils coming back into focus and that last line he delivered was super cold. I'm looking forward to next week. Now, it could be that it jumps to another zone, but I really hope that it at least somewhat concludes this. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I feel like it's going to jump to another zone and leave us with that cliffhanger. What do you think?
1: I think the same thing. Uh, I'm the biggest thing. And you, you you pointed this out. And that was the first thing that I, I thought just instantly when they were like, oh, well, you know, we got the panel to get rid of the decay thing. It's like, yeah, but dude has a bunch of quirks now. Yep, It's not just decay. But yep. we don't know what all they are either. Exactly. And, I mean, shit, for all we know, he may not even know. Right. Um, what was this hand thing that he did? his hand turns into, like, essentially a whip of hands.
0: You know, um, not to cut you off, but it also, for some reason, made me think of uh, his original costume design, how yeah. he always had the, which we found out were the hands of his family members, Insane. right? Insane. But it made, me think, it made me think of that. I don't know necessarily that it's linked to that, but that's what it made me think of.
1: Yeah, that was the mindset it, it put me in as well. Um, I, I'm, I I agree with you that I think they'll probably jump and go to something else, or they might just jump back to Deku.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think Merkel hopefully will be okay. I think DK is the one quirk that they're isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what else becomes of that. But it's like, man, they got to make it happen now because the plan was to have Deku there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they were basically supposed to fight. Deku was supposed to get his one-on-one with his support. There were going to be
0: supports, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I also really, really enjoyed, I mean, I think it really just yields itself to, it yields itself to the fact that we're in the end game currently, Mm -hmm. uh, just in the way that they showed literally everybody. Mm -hmm. There is no one person that's not involved. Mm -hmm. Everybody, big and small, is related. Uh, also, I thought it was cool that they gave Hatsume a shout out, like for the amount of stuff that she took care of, yeah, uh, as it related to everything for what's going on right now. Um, so,
0: like, she was there from like planning to implementation, planning, and implementation, into, like, building. Yeah, the fact that they the way that they had this planned
1: out, you know, I think all the way around it's pretty interesting because, on one end, we're seeing what the villains have planned, but we're also seeing what the heroes have planned and the Mm -hmm. heroes did not have that much time. Like they literally just had to make it happen. Right. You know? So I thought that that was really cool. Um, but overall that's pretty much my thoughts on the chapter. I'm just ready to see the next one. I've been waiting to get us to this point and we finally made it to this point. So, you know, let's see where we go
0: from here. Yep. And with that, that's a wrap on the manga section. Uh, let's take it to... Well, before we take it to combat sports in terms of what we can expect with our roster next week, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but we should be getting Hajime no Ippo, mm-hmm. Sakamoto, mm-hmm. Ayashiman. Yep. Right? We should be getting... I don't think we'll get another Kaiju. It's That's on a two-week rotation. Yeah. Um, we will be getting Jujutsu. We'll be getting My Hero. And, of course, it's not the 20th yet, so no super yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's where we should be with our Manga Roundup next week. And of course, uh, check out our YouTube, check out our Instagram, participate to let us know what your thoughts are, so on and so forth. But uh, look forward to next week as well in terms of the Manga Roundup.
1: Yep. Uh, Next up, we're going to go into our combat sports section. So uh, what we'll be reviewing is UFC 272 pay-per-view, as well as Jose Ramirez versus Jose Pedraza and Chocolatito versus Ray Martinez. Um what I'll start off with the boxing and then we'll do the UFC card together. Yep, yep. Um first off, we had Chocolatito um also aka Roman Gonzalez or rather that's his real name, but everybody knows him as Chocolatito. Um Nicaraguan boxer, 114 pounds fought against uh Ray Martinez, a.k.a. Julio Cesar Martinez. People around him just call him Ray, and oftentimes you'll hear him referred to as Ray Martinez even on um, even on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. So Julio Cesar Martinez, Ray Martinez, same guy. Um, he stepped up to take this fight on uh, six weeks' notice, which I know is still an immense amount of time, but the relevance of that here is Chocolatito's 34- and Ray Martinez is 27. And he came up a weight class to come and fight Chocolatito. Tito was going to have uh, his third fight with uh, a, a guy named Julio Estrada, who he's one and one with currently. Uh, both fights have gone 12 rounds. So these guys have already shared 24 rounds in the ring, um, which is insane to even say. And they were about to go at it again. And uh, Estrada came down with COVID. So they needed a replacement. They got him a young guy, young prospect, really energetic guy, uh, Ray Martinez, who came in, like I said, six weeks notice to fight Roman Gonzalez. Now, the the other difference with this is their record, right? Mm -hmm. It is for anybody who pretty much knows boxing or knows these fighters, Roman Gonzalez is a living legend. Chocolate Tito has already had a Hall of Fame career. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying he has already had that career at the age of 34. Roman Gonzalez. That's very young has, still. It's, it's young, TJ. That's fair. This was his 54th fight. Hmm? You heard what I said. <laughs> this was fight number 54 for Roman Gonzalez dude versus uh ray martinez this was his um 21st fight Mm -hmm. it was a huge step up in competition um but you know that's how legends are made right you know um so he was able to step up and he wanted to try to take on that challenge uh to try to beat roman gonzalez for what is now known as the uh the diamond WBC title, Mm -hmm. um, which they just keep making titles, but whatever. And um, it ultimately is just, it guarantees that he'll be able to fight Juan Estrada. Once Juan Estrada comes back, that pretty much is all it does. Um, It's like, it's like a, a fancier interim title. Well, this fight ends up going all 12 rounds and we got a classic Chocolatito performance. Um, if you know anything about Roman Gonzalez, his volume, 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 volume. Um, he keeps a really, really nice, really solid stance, throws a lot of punches, cuts angles pretty well. But and he has pretty good footwork considering he's a guy who doesn't move his feet a whole lot. Um, and I just mean in a sense of he's not trying to dance around you. He does. He has very good head movement. And he sways very well, leans away, kind of turn the shoulder. Good, He's very good at making guys miss just enough, but he always is in a position to punch. Right. Um, Ray Martinez is a younger guy, very explosive. Very, very explosive. Throws combinations. He's also a part of Canelo's camp. So he trains alongside him. They have very similar fighting styles, but obviously not the same. Um, And I think what we saw in the difference between the two was just more than anything else, a huge change in experience, a huge differential in experience. Um, he had moments, but for the most part, it was one-way traffic, man. I mean, ultimately, the scorecards read 118 to 110, 117 to 111, and 116 to 112 right across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Martinez showed a lot of heart. The last minute and a half of round 12, he really just tried to get in a slugfest with Chocolatito. I mean, he still tried to win the fight, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's really what I respected. Um, But he was faced with, even just on paper, what was an insanely insurmountable task. And it's funny because people have kind of been wondering, like, well, where's going to be the fall-off point for Roman Gonzalez? Like, when is this going to end for this guy? Because he went 46-0 before he lost, TJ. Mm -hmm. He didn't take his first loss until 2017, Jesus. and that's not to downplay. Well, let, just to give a little more reference, he he debuted professionally in 2005, and he did not lose until 2017.
0: Yeah, that's not that that's 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 wild. That's- it, yeah, and I mean,
1: this isn't a guy that only fought locally. He's fought some of everybody. He, you know, his retained and won titles and things of that nature um what it ultimately came down to was he ran into a guy he couldn't beat the guy beat him twice and that was the end of that and ever since he took those two losses he went right back on a a streak of seemingly going back to fighting how we're all used to seeing him fight Mm -hmm. um And there were like some personal things that took place during the the time period where he did take those losses. And I do think not to downplay uh, Rungvisai, who did defeat him, not to downplay his victory at all. Mm -hmm. I think when, you know, when it comes out in the public that this man is dealing with personal loss and a divorce, all while trying to train for a world title fight, that's, that's too many things going on. Right. Um, but ultimately he had a fantastic performance. Um, I felt like it was, you know, it's the chocolatito that we always see. Then we had Jose Ramirez fighting against Jose Pedraza. Now, the reason both of these names are relevant specifically is when you have a guy like Jose Ramirez, he is directly, directly almost uh related to the guy we talked about last week and Josh Taylor. And mm. the reason that he is, is because he was the last person Josh Taylor beat. He was the guy Josh Taylor had to defeat to become undisputed champion. Okay. Um.
0: And this that was also uh, Martinez's
1: last oh, fight. So
0: hold on then, circling back, uh, Jack Catterall, right? Did, is he mm-hmm. stepped aside? Was he originally hoping to beat? Uh, yeah, Jack okay. Catterall was you had stepped aside.
1: Yeah, yeah he stepped aside and allowed Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez to fight. Essentially, you know, yeah, yeah, all the marbles. So, this fight that he was having with Jose Pedraza was to win the the vacant WBO Intercontinental uh welterweight title. Now, the difference with that is it's basically the junior version of the real belt. Okay. Um I could do a whole episode even without um, just you just boxing belts the belts and all that. It's too many belts. And I'm going to just leave it at that.
0: Shout out Floyd.
1: (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah, for real. Um, There's too many versions of like the same belt that don't mean the same thing. You get what I'm saying? So it's always something. Um, And then on the other side, we have Jose Pedraza. Now Jose Pedraza is another really good fighter. Um, He, his only losses have been pretty much to guys that are, greats are going to be known as all-time greats at some point or another you know what i'm saying he has a fantastic resume of guys that he's fought um but just to go into where those losses are um he did fight javante davis and he unfortunately was not successful in that in that endeavor um and that was how he ended up losing one of his world titles and then he moved up um moved up a weight class was able to pick up another belt and then he ran into lomachenko And um, last night, unfortunately, or Friday night rather, uh, he took a loss to Jose Ramirez in a fight that honestly did not play out in the way that I thought it was gonna play out. Um, Also, the other underlying thing that they have going on here is the lifelong, and I mean, lifelong rivalry within boxing of Puerto Rico versus Mexico. Mm Um, we had Jose Ramirez represent Mexico, Jose Pedraza represent Puerto Rico. Um, it was a fight that a lot of people, including myself, were expecting to be a, uh, a firefight. And it had its moments. It definitely had its moments where it became a firefight. But for the most part, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out that it was, you know, it was a relatively technical battle. Um especially early on within the fight. And as the fight goes on, it just seemed like Ramirez was just taking it more and more and more. Um, Jose Pedraza was definitely there. Jose Pedraza is, you know, his nickname is the sniper. And he showed why quite a few times, you know, he's very good at punching in the middle of combinations. He, if you're throwing a one, two, three, he's going to get something in there before you can finish that combo. Right. Um, Jose is very good, very, very good. Um, he's very good at interrupting combinations. And he was able to do that quite a few times. But what I think was the the big difference maker um, in this battle specifically was I think Jose Ramirez was just too strong for uh, Jose Pedraza. Mm. And funny enough, I've been saying it this whole time and I never even put two and two together on the fact that both of their names are Jose, (laughs) but it's a Puerto Rican Jose and a Mexican Jose. Mm -hmm. I digress. Um, I thought that it was a good fight all the way through. Um, At the end, all three of the judges gave it to Ramirez 116 to 112, which I thought was a fair way to score the fight. Mm -hmm. These guys did go back and forth. Um, In terms of like, they even they went very back and forth, and even their punch stats were very similar. It was very close in terms of the numbers. Like uh, Ramirez landed ninety-one power strikes, and Pedraza landed Mm -hmm. eighty-nine. Ramirez threw for thirty-one percent overall. Pedraza landed twenty-three percent overall. Total punches landed was one thirty-three to one ten total punches thrown was 154 to 186 you get what i'm saying so it was was very close the the only differential and i think this was a relatively big differential and this was really what won the fight for ramirez was the jab um he outlanded him 42 jabs to 21 but he threw like a little bit more than 250 jabs and pedraza didn't even get to 200 jabs. Now, granted, I know that sounds like, oh, man, that's crazy. He's throwing a lot of punches. They fought 12 rounds. Yeah. It was a 12-round fight. Right. So, you know, ultimately, um, I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was a lot more back and forth than, like I said, either anybody really was expecting. But it was a good bounce-back fight for Jose Ramirez uh, coming off of that, that loss to Josh Taylor, and it puts him on a path to at least try to get a world title again um as we you know wait to see what the landscape is going to ultimately become because now josh taylor is saying things like he might just vacate the titles and move up a weight class you know now we don't know um so just essentially with him winning that intercontinental title it just puts him in a position that when the wbo title does come up he's essentially the guy right in the front okay and um ultimately we'll see what happens with that Um, again, like I said, I thought it was a good fight. Jose Pedraza looked good. Jose Ramirez looked good. I just think Ramirez was the better man. And I wasn't the only person who thought that clearly those other three judges felt the same way I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but overall, like I said, it was a very, very, very good performance. Um, and that's pretty much all I got to say on that as far as the boxing is concerned. And then we can jump over to UFC 272. Um, well, we'll just be reviewing the main card. So, on the main card for UFC 272, we opened up with uh, Greg Hardy versus how to, who, I do not want to butcher this man's name, Sergey Spivak. Um, after that, we had Kevin Holland versus Alex Oliveira, the Cowboy. We had Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafael Dos Años versus Hernando Moicano, who I want to point out took this fight on like less than a week's notice. Fought three weeks ago. Whew. And yeah, and fought three weeks ago. And then we had Kobe Covington versus Jorge Masvidal in the main event. Mm-hmm. um tj if you don't mind i'm just jump in right away yeah um, go ahead
0: because I, I only caught uh edson Rafael, and uh masvidal i only caught the last three of the main all group. right well then i'll just jump in on these first
1: two then mm-hmm. um the first fight we got sergey spivak versus greg hardy that fight ends in the first round uh via tko
0: was, who got uh, it
1: sergey spivak on hardy yes okay please Tell me more. So uh the way the fight kind of shakes out, they both kind of get in the middle. And I'm just gonna say Greg Hardy was huge. He looked massive um in this in this bout. And I don't necess- I don't mean it in a bad way, but I don't mean it in a good way either. Um he just was really big. I mean, even to the point where they even mentioned it on the broadcast was like, man, like we'd like to, he's a big boy. We'd like to see him maybe shave some of that weight down just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he did look heavy and he started out with some, some leg kicks, you know, throwing some leg kicks on the inside and um, you know, kind of throwing some punches here and there kind of was waiting. Ultimately um, there was an exchange that took place where they ended up both on the ground. And if you know anything about Sergei Spivak, that's partially, you know, his nickname is a polar bear, but that's partially where he's known to be pretty good. This is a guy who has uh, multiple arm submissions and neck submissions in his repertoire, you know, with, as far as victories are concerned. You know, he's still pretty young in his um, he's still pretty young in his mixed martial arts career, this being his 17th fight. But amidst those 17 fights, he has. Armbar, Kimura, and neck crank submissions, mm-hmm. and a rear naked choke.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's pretty, you know, if you, even if you look over through his um, if you look through his record, it's pretty evened out. Like he he has beaten a guy in every way you can beat a guy, right? TKO submission, clean KO. He's got a head kick finish, a KO finish with his hands, uh, armbar, Kimura, TKOs, all that. And uh, ultimately, what happens is there's a scramble he's able to get on top of Greg Hardy and he just rained holy hell down on Greg Hardy until rained down security, man, for real. And ultimately until the referee just jumped in there uh, and was able to stop it. Greg Hardy just kind of covered up and, you know, he allowed the referee to come in there and do his job and get him out of there. Um, it was overall a pretty good performance for uh Sergei Spivak. You know, so I'm interested in seeing where he'll go next. Uh, He's coming, actually, this was a bounce back win for him as well because he had recently fought uh, Tom Aspinall back in September. And he, you know, unfortunately, he took a TKO in the first round. So, you know, I guess he decided to live by the gun and die by the gun because he turned right around and got a first round stoppage, just how he was stopped in the first round. Um, They're calling it a stoppage with elbow, with punches, but he was throwing punches. He was throwing elbows. He was throwing whatever was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, to make this man stop. And, you know, ultimately, he was able to stop Greg Hardy. This might also be the end of what I'll call the Greg Hardy experiment. And I don't even really mean that in disrespect, as disrespect towards Greg Hardy. But knowing that he came in with, you know, a lot of the the negative press that he had behind him as well. Right. And, you know, he came in off the Tuesday Night Contender Series and things like that. Um, and he's had pretty much all of his MMA experience virtually in the UFC. Mm. Um, you know, he had about three fights on the lower, on the lower tier. And then, you know, fight number four, he's on the contender series fight number five. He's on a contender series. You know, he does one other like kind of smaller fight. And then he, uh, he makes his UFC debut. And even in his UFC debut, there was controversy. Right. So, you know, you have that. You know, he rattles off, uh, rattles off a handful of victories. Then he gets no contest, and it's like, all right, over uh, an inhaler. Then they throw him this outrageously huge jump in competition to have him fight Alexander Volkov. Um, he unfortunately he was unsuccessful in that. He turns around, picks up two, and then this is now his third loss in a row and this is his third tko loss in a row mm. um he was tko by marcin tabura he was ko by tai tuivasa and then he just was tko last night by sergey spivak so we'll see what ultimately becomes of greg hardy but if you know if history is to be studied in any way in the ufc three of those like that that might be the end of it right so you know but Congratulations to Sergey Spivak, you know, and I'll be interested to see him what happens next. Mm-hmm. Then we had um a fight that I pretty much was telling anybody who would hear me, this is probably gonna be fight of the night. Uh, it was Kevin Holland versus Alex, the cowboy Oliveira. Mm-hmm. And for as long as it lasted, it was exciting. This fight was only two rounds. Um, and even in those two rounds, there was a lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh Kevin Holland pretty much starts off in that first round, both guys, uh, both guys, you know, obviously trying to establish themselves, but Kevin Holland just kind of kept pushing in despite the fact that he had like this really huge reach advantage and he had a pretty good, um, you know, pretty good reach advantage on both hands and feet, you know, as far as his, how far his kicks would lay, uh, could reach and things like that. But ultimately, you know, they're going for, You know, they're going for their strikes and things like that. And Kevin goes for a kick, gets his foot caught, and ends up just diving down on the knee. And he actually tries to go for like a, uh, like a, like kind of like a knee bar, sort of. Mm. And it turns into a bit of a grappling exchange. And I kid you not. A lot of people like to say they do things like this, but Charles Oliveira at one point was able to get on Kevin's back.
0: Wait, Alex Oliveira.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, Alex Oliveira, sorry. That's well, who would I say, Charles? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Alex Oliveira was able to get when Kevin Holland's back, and I kid you not, he was like a backpack on this dude. Like, and the, it's just, it's hard for me to even describe it. If you have like seen back
0: it. control hooks no, in, no, 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 or... you're not hearing
1: me. You're not hearing me. See, even now, you don't understand what I mean. He got on Kevin's back. Kevin did everything to get this dude off of him. He didn't even, like, it was almost like he was magnetized to his back. There's an entire moment where there's a full damn near barrel roll that takes place. And he did not break his arm grip, leg grip, nothing. It, he, it looked like he was not coming off of him at all. So back, back, back like control. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. man. he was on his back. Ultimately, he gets kind of like a... That's what people
0: talk about I like, they theorize, right?
1: You got to find them highlights when you get a chance, because it's actually, just for that one little bit, I he was on him so tight, TJ, that I had anxiety watching. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my God, he's like, you know what I'm saying? He won't let right. him go. Um, and ultimately, he was able to uh, get off him. And then, you know, there's the picture that... Um, there's the the picture that went viral after the fight of him, you know, of Kevin doing the thumbs up, because uh, he was able to get his arm in. Um, he was able to get his arm in a little bit, so he wasn't able to choke him out when he had, a, when he had his back, because the arm was, he got a chance to get his arm in there. Mm-hmm. So the choke wasn't all the way sunk in, and, you know, Kevin goes back to his corner. Charles goes back to his corner at the end of the round because it finished with him still on Kevin's back, but they were both laying there. Kevin puts up both thumbs literally in the final seconds to be like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And like, just kind of gives this, you know, just kind of look like, yeah, this guy, like he's got me. So he goes back to the corner, clearly frustrated. Um, His coach gave him coaches, gave him fantastic advice, man. They just were like, yo, what's going on? And he's like, yo, I just feel like he's so far away. And his coach tells him, he's like, you just got to slow down, relax, use your reach. After he tells him slow down, relax, and use his reach. Not even a minute into the second round, he TKOs Alex Oliveira. Damn. He throws like uh throws a little combination. And while Alex is trying to move, just boop catches him perfectly on the chin while he's trying to move with a straight right hand that puts him back. And Kevin jumps on top of him. And I mean, I've never seen Hammer Fist this determined. It was just like, you couldn't even, it was just a blur. All you saw, it looked damn near, it looked like an anime. It was just a blur of his arm, just hammering this guy. He was trying to cover up, and then that turned into punches, and that turned into elbows, and he was able to stop him. And I mean, after clearly losing that first round, less than 40 seconds into the second round, the fight is over. Right. Uh, Kevin was able to pull it off. And um, ultimately, you know, he turned the turned the whole fight around. And I was, you know, it was good for him. And at the end, he called out Donald Cerrone, so He's, You know, he said he figured he'd beat one cowboy. He'd try to beat another one. Um, another thing that was important to note is this was Kevin Holland's first fight at welterweight. Mm. So this was his welterweight debut. He was dropping down to 170. But overall, I thought it was a fantastic fight. Um, then after that, we had... Excuse me. We had another fight that I was pretty uh, interested in seeing, which was Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell uh, down at Featherweight. Uh, How much of that fight did you get a chance to see? I caught the latter half of round two and all of round three. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. In round one, there was a lot of pressure Bryce Mitchell was putting on Edson Barbosa. And I believe that what I was curious to see just with their styles, right? This is a crazy style matchup. So, you know, it's essentially the grappler versus, versus the striker. The striker. Yep. But let's not forget, you know, and you can call me on this if you want to. Edson's Brazilian. Yeah. So no
0: way he doesn't know about the grounder.
1: It ain't no, there's no way he doesn't know. Um, And I think Bryce did a good job of trying to keep Edson on that back foot and really, like... Just not giving Edson Barbosa the room he needed
0: to to strike. Honestly, wow. it was very reminiscent of Habib. Like, yes, when he takes your legs, he sucks those legs in, drives with his hips, and it's like you're you're drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you manage to get out, which is very unlikely, but if you manage to get out, it's like you're exhausted. Um, it was it was a rough watch, at least yeah, what man. I thought.
1: Yeah, uh, he. Even in the first round, here, 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 I'll get you with this. First round, Bryce Mitchell actually drops Edson Barbosa. And what? that's what opens up the grapple.
2: Mm.
1: Um, you know, he tries to shoot for some takedowns, but Edson is throwing early. He already is throwing those kicks. And he was whipping those kicks into that leg. And it was interesting because you typically don't see guys go for the calf kick on the inside. Mm-hmm. But he was throwing an inside calf kick as opposed to the outside calf kick to try to take some of that base out from underneath Bryce Mitchell, and even there were a handful of times he was going shin to shin, which clearly is going to make me cringe every time. But, yeah, that stuff stinks. Uh, it sucks, man. Bryce was able to uh, he was able to pull it off though. Yeah, he was able to to drop him with a right hook, left hand, get him on the ground, and pretty much every round after that, it was pressure it was to the, the cage. Same story. Pressure to the cage, grab him, get him on the ground. And he was able to dominate Edson Barbosa. And I think more than anything else, they were saying some things on the commentary team where they were referring to like the weight cut and stuff like that. And I I disagreed with that. I think ultimately what it was, was just not even that Bryce Mitchell was better than people thought he was, but I think he was stronger than what the belief was. Um, Because I think that was his path to victory. Ultimately, it had to be, he was going to have to grapple. But the fact that he had the strength to keep him down and, you know, he just had the technique that was really good. Obviously he was going for strikes, trying to throw up submissions, but he was able to pull off a pretty impressive victory. What'd you think TJ? Um,
0: No, I thought it was full dominance. Uh, I was just, I was just surprised that how, I mean, I don't want to disparage Barbosa's ground skills, but it's just, there was no real defense. Um, round belt like, and a black belt man yeah like this barboza couldn't do anything um and so it looked like he was trying to hold guard there was like a very weak triangle attempt in round three from barboza and like and the thing too is like the, the other thing too and I, I get how this happens sometimes in the middle of a grappling exchange right but during that triangle attempt mitchell pulled him up and i was like barboza just let go you can take the fight back to your feet from right there right like if you're mm-hmm. hanging on with your legs and let's say you control the head and they're lifting you up to potentially slam you down, let go of the head, let go of the body, get your feet on the ground, create some distance and then just play in your space, right? Like you could just brought it back to the feet, but you know, at that point you could tell the gas tank was run on empty. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was just full on domination from Mitchell. Um, shout out to Mitchell though, showing he's a good guy uh, donating the majority of his purse or like half of his purse to charity, and come to find out later on, like Dana White was like, "Don't worry about that. We we're gonna we're gonna match you. You can keep your purse." But it looks like Mitchell's still gonna try to donate a lot of his purse to the charity from I believe it was Arkansas uh, for mm-hmm. the kids. But uh, now I thought I thought it was a very good wrestling showcase. Like we, I feel like the past few fight nights and pay per views, at the end of the day, wrestling is that core art you want to make sure you have down. You don't have to be the best at it. But you got to be able to handle it when it's coming at you. Um, and boy, is that gonna be the story going forward as for we're talking about the rest of the two, night. Yeah, the next two fights for real. Yeah. 100%. percent Um, let's get into dos Años versus Moicano catchway, mm-hmm. right? Um, Matt pointed this out earlier, right? But we have to remember that Moicano's taking this on short notice because I believe uh, something happened to Fizif. That's how they pronounce it on yeah, the broadcast. Man. Um, and he got, he got COVID. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate. Um, and we also have to keep by that Moicano just fought and won against Alex Hernandez. I believe it was round two by rear naked choke. Um, mm-hmm. my first comment was, yo, oh, one other
1: thing you have ahead. to mention. That's very, very important. Moicano fought three weeks ago. He came in as a last minute replacement. Came in as the last minute replacement as of Tuesday.
0: Wow. And he went the distance.
1: Yeah. Yo. So, that, like,
0: uh, well, that one, happened on Monday when, right. Raf-
1: when Rafael, uh, how do you say it again? Rafael. Yeah. Rafael Fiziv? Uh, Faziv, Faziv. Yeah. yeah. That was Monday that he
0: got pulled because of COVID. Wow. Wow. Um, and the thing is too, like, uh, I want to make one more comment too. Mm -hmm. this fight was like the complete opposite of what happened between Bobby green and Makachev, right? Uh, Islam Mm -hmm. Makachev. Bobby green didn't make it out of the first round, right? Which is neither here nor there. But in this case, Moicano went the distance. And if I'm being 100% honest, there was potential for a legendary upset in that last round. This was a five round bout which was, mm-hmm. uh, I guess that might be um, a result of like, what was supposed to be the battle with Fazeev, but Well, was- no, well, just just to give a little context on that,
1: that fight, the Fazeev fight had been rescheduled like two times. So okay. this was, they were initially the main event of the last fight night. Right. And they took them that off of that round, yeah. and put them on this card. So they just kept it as a five-round
0: fight because there was only right. one
1: extra week that they made them wait.
0: Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, no, uh, this was like, I think my first comment was like Dos Anjos, his walkout music was fight to survive from Bloodsport. And I'm like, he better win. <laughs> You're going to mm-hmm. come out to, to, to a song or beat that hard, bro. You got to win. Um, but man, what was the story of this battle? It's like, half, the I want to say the last time I saw Rafael Dos Anjos fight on a pay-per-view, this is this is just me because there were, there have been some gaps in my UFC viewing. Um, mm. He was like uh, known for his grappling, right? Known for occasionally throwing leg kicks, but more so like his wrestling. His grappling was just it was just something else. But mm. watching him now, it's like the dude has gotten so good at blending his striking and his wrestling. I mean, the amount of double legs this guy hit initially from setting it up off of a, a punch or a kick or a combination of both was just incredible to watch like it was Mm -hmm. it was like poetry in motion man like some of the timing like he and it's not just like his offense capabilities his defense too it's like he throw a few punches get his head off center line then he knows that the hook is coming but he's already gone hits moicano with a double leg right and honestly Mm -hmm. that was the story of this fight it's like the double legs and the striking man like rafael dos was finding a home for his left hand he's a southpaw right and he was mm-hmm. finding a home for that left hand, whether it be straights, hooks, uppers. The dude was finding a home, and his head movement was on point, dude. And his kicks, you cannot forget that Rafael has, a, like, a rear leg roundhouse that's a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. He cracked Moicano so many times. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have to give props. With all the circumstances involved in Moicano taking this fight, nothing was in his favor. But as I mentioned earlier, he went the distance with Dos Anjos, and like uh, Dos Anjos or Dos Anjos, I keep forgetting. So I feel like they the broadcasters pronounce it a uh, different way. But um, I hope I'm I'm doing it justice. I think it's Dos Anjos. Uh, I don't know if in There's Portuguese Dos they, the Dos Anjos, Okay, I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if in Portuguese they do the n n y. But yeah. Um, but back to Moicano. Uh, man, that dude is a warrior. Like, it's 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 crazy. Like, we've seen instances of people fight while unconscious, but nothing like this, man. Nothing like this. And then before we even go any further, we got to give a shout-out to, to Mark Goddard. Uh, that dude really cares about the fighters. Because uh, it's like when... And we get it, too. We're not going to disparage Moikano's corner. But there were a few occasions where it's like, hey, he's taking too much damage. Uh it might be better, especially considering that this is last minute. Yes, we want to win, but it might be better that we just you know throw in the towel so he doesn't take any unnecessary damage given like everything that's led up to this fight. Mm-hmm. Uh but Mark Goddard brought the dock in a few times, you know, to check in on his eye because Dosanios was just delivering punishment. But I know I'm kind of going all over the place. I also want to give a shout out to Moikanos Jiu-Jitsu. I feel like I didn't hear enough coming out of the commentators talking about how his jujitsu enabled him to survive. Cause like, yeah, he was taking a few hits, but it's like, how many times was he stuffing, uh, dos Sancho, dos Anjos, I'm sorry, dos Anjos's ability to deliver elbows deliver punches from well, that's like, his the dominant position because like he was getting his legs in the way there was even, I want to say it was around four where he straight up used butterfly hooks from the guard uh, that might have been round five. Butterfly hooks from the guard, because like Anjos had just taken him down to his advancing position. Um, of was like, no, butterfly hooks elevates Dosanos' legs, puts him back on his feet, takes the fight back to the feet. It was very good jujitsu to see. I mean, albeit he did take several hits that bloodied him up, but compared to the like this fight could have ended a lot sooner had it not been for his jujitsu. I'll just put it that way. Um, what did you think about it, man?
1: I thought it was an insane fight, man. It was. Um, I thought it was crazy that, like, okay, let's just put all of this into perspective, right? Aside from him taking this fight on less than a week's notice, um, taking a five-round fight on less than than a week's notice, and giving up weight, um, you know, and dropping, yeah, I mean, not dropping, but giving up on, you know, the weight and having to do the catch weight at 160, which also puts your opponent who has been training and cutting weight, you just gave him pretty much
0: five pounds. Right. Um man, it's he it's could have to... won. That's the thing, too. He could yeah, have
1: won. He could have won. Uh I thought ultimately it was just it was crazy, man. It was, it was a pretty interesting fight. Um, we saw Jafio Dos Anjos, what eventually has become his style, very similar to uh, the guy in the main event, is he weaponizes cardio. Yeah. And it's just a lot of pressure with the hands, a lot of wrestling pressure, a lot of jujitsu pressure, and um, things of that nature. And I just thought he outclassed Moicano in a lot of ways, but the fact that Moicano was able to go five rounds Less than a week's notice—that's an incredible gas tank against a former world champion. Yeah, is insane.
0: Yeah, um, I mean that—that's hard for sure. Like, yeah, one hundred percent. But also, it's like, what is his gas tank like then when he's got a full camp? Exactly. And um, now this stock thing, is definitely gonna rise after it's this. Gonna
1: rise for sure. Hell yeah. Um, now, interesting thing about this is uh. How do you say say the other gentleman's name again? Fazeev? Fazeev, yes. Fazeev has defeated Moicano before. Hmm. They fought back in 2020, and he, he KO'd Moicano on the first round. Hmm. So I just thought it was just interesting how those things all kind of ended up circling around each other. Like, mm-hmm. he beats Moicano. He's supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. And instead a guy that he beat is the guy that takes on Jafiel Dos Anjos.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Another thing I just want to throw out there, uh, some 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 records and stuff, is with that fight, after that victory, Jafiel um, Dos Anjos is now the owner of the most unanimous decision victories in the history of the UFC. That's pretty wild. Uh, in 11. He is the second most in all time cage time. Hmm uh he's only second to Frankie Edgar and if he fights one more time he will have Frankie Edgar beat hmm. um especially if he gets another five rounder under his belt right but he's put in that much time in the cage um he also won the most decision wins in the history of the lightweight division as well hmm. with 7 um so, I don't know, man. I just think overall it was a crazy fight. I thought it was it, – I, I kind of was talking throughout while you were talking about it too. So, I just felt like it was wild, man. It was wild to see Moicano take that damage and keep pushing and, like, be active. Let me just be clear for anybody who didn't see the fight. Moicano didn't just survive for five rounds.
0: No, he, he, was, he was he was throwing them hands. He was trying to win. Yeah. like There he was would... never a point where he was like, acquiescing he was, was actively trying to win that fight if they have any highlights of how he reacted at the end of the fight it kind of sums up like the fact that he really did have the drive to win he was pissed that he lost mm-hmm. like the man was upset he was like i think uh one of the um, uh one of the cut people kept coming at him like yo let me wipe the blob he's like get off me. like like he the man was like i don't want to say yeah, yeah he was just pissed like he really wanted to win um like, that's the, that's a competitor right there. That's all I yeah, got to say. That's a competitor, man. Um, short notice, no notice, all notice, don't matter. <laughs> like You yeah, like, pulled up. You pulled up. Yeah. And that's all you can do in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then, if you don't mind, we just go ahead and slide over to the main event.
2: Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. Our main event was Kobe Covington versus uh George Mosvedal, Jorge Mosvedal, however you prefer, however you say his name. Mm-hmm. Um and I just mean you personally. Mm-hmm. And um seems like he goes by both in all honesty. Yeah he does go by both. Yeah. That's why I say it's, it's George or it's Jorge, whichever you would like. Um but yeah man we we had that fight last night. Uh that was basically the number one ranked guy versus number six. And um That was another pretty interesting fight. But what I'll say, even ahead of anything else, is that the result of this fight was one that I predicted, unfortunately. But I did predict that it would go this way. Um, And I think this was another case, not even of a uh, striker versus a grappler, but I think there was just a... I think cardio, too, but I think overall it's just a bad style matchup. Right. terrible style matchup. Um, these guys are former teammates, um, you know, they're trained in the same places and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, both guys were guys that went to ATT. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, through one reason or another, because there's a lot of drama, especially as it relates to Kobe and Masvidal and even to a degree, Dustin Poirier, um, there was a lot of issues going forward and there was a lot of, Beef. Some people were questioning how realistic it was, but there were a lot of issues between uh, Jorge Masvidal and Kobe Covington going into this fight. Um, ultimately, you know, Kobe, spoiler alert, you know, Kobe was able to pull off the victory um, by winning a decision. And I just want to say, and TJ, you can give your thoughts right after this, because I, I don't have a ton to say on this, just because it, realistically there wasn't really a ton to say about it right um despite the huge disparity in experience um Kobe Covington I think has a fighting style that is not easy for anybody to deal with and it especially is not easy for anyone to deal with whose name is not Kamaru Usman yeah um and I mean you know I think he's established himself pretty much as that guy in the division. Like, well, if you want to get to him, you got to go through me. And, you know, what do you do when the number one contender is, you know, just as tough as the actual champion? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you get past that? Um, I thought the matchup was a bad one just because Dustin, not Dustin Poirier, look at me, George Masvidal (laughs) is... More or less known as a striker. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't have wrestling. It's not to say he doesn't have jujitsu. He has a lot of those things. But his specialty, or, you know, more or less what he is known for, is striking. Kobe Covington, this is a guy who was a NCAA wrestler. Mm -hmm. You know, he has wrestled for pretty much most of his career, and all of his wins are almost all decision victories. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and he grinds guys out. And I think that works terrible against a guy like a George Mosvidal who is explosive and is mostly a striker. And if he was a in battle a battle situ- of
0: attrition is gonna be his Achilles heel. Yeah, and a
1: battle of attrition. That's all and a battle of attrition is the Achilles heel of anybody that's explosive. Right. Because that's gonna eventually burn out. Right. And that that's uh that's what I felt ultimately happened. Um they went five rounds, but it was almost all Kobe just trying to pressure him. And it's not to say that George didn't fight back, but he got grinded to a point where it, there wasn't really much
0: there. Like In the just, fourth- Just what? to give context, it's like there was, I think you're about to mention this, right? In the fourth round where mm-hmm. uh, Masvidal actually wobbled Covington, but he didn't have enough gas to capitalize on it. And I mean, and wobbled Covington him good. Re- yeah, and Covington recovered. And it's was like, all right, well, that's a wrap on that attempt. Um, yeah it was his only chance really yeah seriously and like that was the only choice he had because up to that point he had lost the first three rounds um yeah uh is it cool if i just go into my yeah, go, ahead, go ahead Go um if i'm being 100 honest i i didn't care for this fight um i was <laughs> i was going i was just uh, politics aside uh i was like then they already both lose to kamaru um mm-hmm. but it was just—it wasn't like for all the hype that was around it. It was not an exciting fight, and I think it's like you said—it comes down to a bad a bad matchup. But it's like, it how many like, I feel like if you showed people stills from rounds one through five, they wouldn't be able to pick which round was which. And I say this because it was the same thing for five rounds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Covington with the pressure. Back in Masvidal up to the cage, uh, taking Masvidal down, getting to his back, and doing that weird thing where instead of trying to establish his hooks and finish the choke, he's just gonna like place his arm, you know, around his neck and do like the face ripper or face hugger. Masvidal being like just keeping his chin tucked, and then Covington just like throwing these strikes that I don't even think damage-wise there was any uh, compounding of damage um i just think it just kind of increased the amount of strikes thrown overall uh in terms of like you know what the judges are looking at in order to determine the the decision um it was yeah it was just the same story over and over and over again um i will say you could make the argument that covington was fighting dirty however because i mean there was an eye poke there was a uh, very clear nut shot a clear as clear well. nut shot yeah but it's like it's what it is man y'all went into this fight he did like did you not expect him to try to pull off some shit Masvidal I don't know but uh I and by the way I don't I don't I'm not rooting for either of them (laughs) but it's like but you know what I mean and and then it's like uh you know Masvidal did that thing in the first round where he got poked in that and he looked at the ref like you're not going to do anything about the eye poke but it's like if the ref doesn't see it he doesn't call it it's whatever number one rule, protect he yourself. Did at all times. Though, yeah, he did tell him afterward though Yeah, he did see retroactively, the retroactively. But I mean like in the midst of the round, right? Like if he yeah, didn't you got called it, you gotta protect yourself at all times. That's what it is. The fight's still going. I thought it was hilarious. Like while he was like calling on the ref, like Covington was like, Oh, I didn't hear the ref. Boom, he just went in. Um, which is like it, I don't know, man. Um might as well got dominated at the end of the day. That's all it is. Uh you saw it was, United. I mean, once the first three rounds were wrap, it's like, and then Mazadal's gas tank, he couldn't capitalize on round four. I was like, yeah, I, was, I, I, at some point I thought to myself, I want this fight to be over, um, <laughs> uh-huh. but, but yeah, it's what it is. Those are my thoughts, I guess. Well, guys, that's going
1: to wrap up our combat sports section uh, for this week. Ultimately, what we're going to end, well, not ultimately, I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> what we'll be doing next week, we will be covering uh, the UFC Fight Night, uh, Tiago Santos versus Ankalev. I really hope I pronounced this guy's name correctly. Because he's a listener. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Magomed Anka Lev is going up against Tiago Santos in the main event of the UFC Fight Night. And we actually do not have any major boxing event to cover for next week. So we will only be covering uh, the UFC for next week's episode. Something to look forward to, y'all. And with that being said, we're going to slide over into our question of the week. And our topic of the week is, what are your thoughts on Cobra Kai?
0: Mr. Matt, I'm going
1: to let you go first on this one. I think I'm going to shock you, Matt. I'm into Cobra Kai.
0: That's not shocking. That's not shocking. Oh, shit. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, bro, whatever. Venn diagram uh, for your love of martial arts is like that
1: damn near a circle, bro. <laughs> like, that yeah, you're right. yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, I'm into it. I Obviously, there are little things that I don't like because I'm an adult. Um, right. and sometimes when you <clears> just <throat> watch stuff and it's like common sense would tell you to do this and you have to remember, oh yeah, this is a drama. And most of these characters are teenagers. Right. Um, I think overall it's really good. The thing I appreciate more than anything else, cause I'm very, very, very big on continuity is I all of the actors change. reprise their roles. Yeah. No yeah. big and small. Yeah. Um, all the people from the different Karate Kids. I'd be very curious to see if
0: we ever are going to get Hillary Swank that's, in
1: in an episode.
0: Yeah, that's the debate. That's the current like speculation. Will she ever will she ever show up?
1: However, I and I've seen I've seen some people feel like they want her to show up, and I've seen some people say they hope that she does not. And I understand that argument on both ends because, despite the fact that she is in the Karate Kid, this is kind of primarily focusing on the the Danny LaRusso the, the story The Ralph Machio yeah. Yeah, the Ralph Macchio, Danny LaRusso story arcs. Mm-hmm. So then they have zero crossover between mm-hmm. the two of them. There's mm-hmm. none. They've never met, at least to, to our knowledge or anything like that. So, you know, but I, I liked, I like how, I, I don't know, really for more than anything else is the nostalgia. I think the nostalgia of it is really what, is really what gets me. Is really what keeps me kind of into it. And, you know, I think some of the fights, for the most part, are choreographed decently enough, um, you know, considering what we're looking at. Again, right. there's those levels of drama and teen stuff that I think is unnecessary. Um, but what I think they did, a, they've done an excellent job of, more than anything else, is narrative. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really where the show shines, especially in the
0: past season. I
1: want to say, yes, I was definitely. That's exactly what I was about to say. Um, Going into this third season, there were so many different storylines, and there were so many payoffs, but also build up of more things that are going to happen coming forward. You know, everything between Johnny and Miguel, and Miguel's story arc, and Hawk, and you know, things with Robbie and you know, with uh, Danny and Danny and his kids and yeah. all of that. I think everything came full circle. And even with the little young man that was being bullied, I forget, I forget this. His name is name. Kenny,
0: Kenny, Kenny. Ooh. And the way they link him back to Robbie, it's was like, I did not see that coming. Um, yeah. Um, no, I didn't expect it either. I thought that yeah. they did a really good
1: job. We don't give a damn if you watched it. Um,
0: Spoilers. By <coughs> having
1: Kenny be the younger brother of a guy that Robbie was in juvie with. Yeah. um, And and the specific person he was in juvie with, like, the guy that tried to bully him. that
0: Yeah, that wasn't even, like, an ally. That was, like, he was an antagonist. Um, well,
1: you know, after they had that fight, right. it was respect. Calm so they were straight after that. Yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, you ain't snitch. He's like, I'm not a snitch. He's like, oh, okay. Well, then, I can fuck with you, then. Right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I thought especially that, that too was also interesting because... And I might be jumping out the window just a little bit on this, but I'm just speaking on what my feelings were. It Kenny's story arc to a to he a green. No, 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 not even that. But partially, yeah. I it reminded me a lot of that two part episode arc that they did in um in Mob Psycho in the second season. Mm-hmm um when mob was dealing with the bullying thing ultimately to find out that it was just none of that was even happening to him for real Mm -hmm. um but i just drew the comparison because this was a kid who really was not bothering anyone Mm -hmm. he was doing nothing wrong he did nothing wrong you know it was a a latchkey kid basically uh and for any of our listeners who don't know what that is that's Pretty much a kid that takes care of himself. Yeah. Um to a degree. T- TV not completely. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was his story more than anybody else's, I think really compelled me um in that final season, just because you really see like there was there's this expectation, right? Where like he's been getting bullied, he's been getting bullied. And I mean, these kids was doing some kind of high key, some terrible shit to him.
0: Not that, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And he ends up learning, you know, from Cobra Kai on some self-defense and it ends up changing his personality completely. Mm-hmm. And he kind of becomes more of a bully. And there's like that funny moment where um LaRusso's son, who was the main person bullying him, he tries to have his full circle moment and be like, Hey man, you know what? I'm sorry. It ain't that easy. And Kenny, yeah, basically, like you just said, Kenny was like, it ain't that simple.
2: Yeah.
1: And some people may have felt one way or another, but I thought that was actually the most realistic reaction yeah, anybody I was like, would have. I had.
0: understood it 100%. I had no problems about that.
1: Yeah, I didn't agree with the fact that Kenny, you know, I didn't agree necessarily with how he handled it, but, but I also wasn't it? mad. Yeah. I also wasn't mad that he beat his ass because, like,
0: let's think about this. You can't oppress somebody. You know, like for for as much. No, but check this check
1: this out. Check this out, TJ. Check this out. It's not even about the oppression I don't thing.
0: <laughs> he smoked you in
1: a fair one. Y'all yeah. jumped him. Yeah, there was there was a period in the, in that series where they held his arms back. Everybody was taking turns punching him. Yeah, and he smoked you just in some one on one. And he, you know, he, low key kind of didn't have to. But I just I hated. Like I'm telling you, TJ, that shit. It was burning me. Just seeing this kid get bullied because, you know, I've had my experience with bullying in the past for nothing, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. for being like he was getting bullied just for being the new kid, just for being yep. the kid that was around. Yep. And granted, there was a little of that internal sort of bullying that he had to deal with um in within Cobra Kai. But that was OK, just because it was like it was kind of more hazing than yeah. anything else. Yeah, Like, if you follow, or if you followed the show, every new person that joins Cobra Kai kind of gets treated like shit for like yeah. a week or so.
0: Yeah. Even or, when you it know, was run by Johnny. Like even, was, that exactly. was the name of the game.
1: Yeah. That's just what it is. The little man on a totem pole. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, um, but overall, I'm, I'm really into it. I'm very curious to see what other people they bring back. I thought them bringing back... Uh, Bringing back Johnny Silver. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Terry Silver. Terry, Silver. Terry Silver, not yeah. Johnny. Terry Silver. Let me tell you something.
0: Man, what's up, man?
1: And this is my final thoughts on this, and I'll pass it over to you. When I was a kid, I was afraid of Terry Silver. Like, when I watched The Karate Kid and saw how he was treating Johnny and how he was like, you know, it was psycho, man. He was turning him over. Yeah. And even just the way he talked, the way he acted, it was like that. It, he had an evil sort of charisma about him
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where it was like, he's likable, but it's like likable to a point
2: because mm-hmm.
1: it's like, what is this guy really up to? And I mean, just ultimately he, and it, yeah, I thought it was funny too, because they made a reference. So he was like, dude, I was like coked up out of my mind. I like <laughs> <Yeah>. a teenager. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, you're right. Like you really were tweaking. Like, and then ultimately he didn't realize he was tweaking too tough because he came back and went right back to the same bullshit. But right. um, I thought bringing him back in was perfect. Every time they've brought one of the villain type of characters back, I've always been a little leery about it. Like when Sensei Crease came back, I was like, all right, where's this going to go? Right, And they out ultimately turned that into something good. And then at the end of that, it's like, all right, now what's going to happen now that Terry Silver's back? And, yeah. you know, Terry Silver ultimately becomes the final big bad. Not to say that Sensei Crease is going to become a better person, but he had a bit of him a character a bit of arc, a arc as well.
0: Yeah, yeah he was bit bit starting to arc.
1: see the difference. And I think the biggest thing with everybody is kind of having that redemption because... For the longest time, Johnny never saw where he was wrong. And to a degree, he still kind of don't see where he wrong in a lot of shit still. Yeah. In in a comedic way, and even in a non-comedic way. But to see that also bleed over to Sensei Crease, Yeah. Well, uh, was a pretty interesting thing. But I thought the addition of Johnny Silver was crazy, and I'm very interested to see where they take uh where they're gonna take it in season five. Yeah. Um. And I w- hopefully they have a bigger role for Kenny. And, you know, we get to see some, you know, we get to see some more characters come back because I think part of the, the part appeal. of the thing that makes it so cool. Yeah. And part of the appeal is that characters reprise their roles. Yep. So, but those are my thoughts on uh, Cobra Kai. What about you? How you feeling? Um,
0: I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it thoroughly. And to me, it's like I, I think what you hit on was honestly going to be primarily the reason why I wanted us to cover this topic. It's there's a lot of redemption arcs. There's a lot of exploring the father-son bond, not even necessarily the biological father-son bond, but it's like you see uh, LaRusso become a surrogate father to, to, uh, to Robbie, right? You also see him mm-hmm. become, especially in this past season, become a surrogate father to uh, uh, Miguel, right? Uh, obviously the relationship between Johnny and Miguel is something to be uh, spoken for, um you see throughout this series Johnny is also in a long-term roundabout way dealing with the traumas of his childhood not necessarily mm-hmm. having his father around right his father left his mom split uh him having to deal with his like rich stepdad who shout out Ed Asner RIP um you know played his stepfather who is still bailing him out in like season one right like even Mm -hmm. even not necessarily liking the idea of johnny starting up cobra kai again um it was even interesting too because i want to say this season and the season before season three they also delved into crease's past right him going through vietnam him being the way he was him developing cobra kai like him also dealing with uh his own issues his own trauma and it's like it flips the narrative on its head. And I don't i don't know if you ever remember the theory about like, you know, if you watch The Karate Kid a slightly different way or if you watch it backwards, it's like, turns out Daniel LaRusso was the bully the whole time. But they touch on that in this series, right? Season one starts. You, you wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't necessarily completely say that Johnny is hard on his luck. It's just like he's made some poor life choices. But obviously the. Uh, ripple effect of him losing the all, uh, was the all valley tournament definitely sent him on a specific path to not to, to essentially being a loser. When we see him, he's a loser. Um, he may not necessarily see himself as a loser, but it's like all the trappings are there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the it's just the way it explores this, like you know, maybe LaRusso was the boy the whole time because he's still capitalizing on him winning, winning those multiple valley championships, he's they still mention how Johnny was the person he defeated, right, like to Johnny's face in front of other folks, in front of other companies. So it's like Johnny's like in this world where he's not doing well and he's also getting constant reminders of probably one of the worst defeats or the worst event of his life.
1: And pretty much the fork in the road of his life that the put fork him on in the, the path road that, that got him, him
0: there. On and, and I then, just want
1: to I just want to jump in real quick on that where you're saying if you look at it a certain way, and they're talking about the uh you know where uh Larusso might be the bully, mm-hmm. if you also look at it, his kids ultimately are bullies.
0: Yeah, oh especially his son. His especially son, his son
1: that daughter his daughter is Dude. a bully in in certain ways and she also does a Bro, lot of that. uh
0: what's what's her face um i i can't remember her name but you know what i'm talking about the one mm-hmm. who ends up like cutting her or whatever but like she is literally tormenting this this girl who's going her, her
1: mom that whole third season are just they ruining this
0: girl's life they were trash they're just ruining this girl's life at yeah. every turn yeah and her mom kind of tries to make up for it but it doesn't come off as genuine um tori yeah tori yes like yeah. Tori's just going through it. Like she is down on her luck. Like, like in, like I don't want to say sob story, but remember this is also a drama. But yeah, they they played up like she's not. She's basically the breadwinner for her household, and being kicked out of school for that karate gang fight. I, I'm sure you could hear my air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just hey, a almost got paralyzed behind that. That shit was no. Real, he bro. was paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't need the, the how they got him to walk in. It was like, okay, this might be a bit of a stretch. Let's actually take him to actual physical barrier. But it's what it is. Shout out to. I mean, that was more for like Johnny and Miguel's relationship. But mm-hmm. another thing I want to touch on too. It's like I enjoy this, but being someone who is a real still martial artist in martial arts, man. All the fights were just martial arts tricking, right? Like it was like, all right, cart, cartwheel, front flip, cartwheel, corkscrew, roundhouse, like five forty kick. Like even at the All Valley tournament, it's like, bro, nobody's. Well, unless you're Raymond Daniels. Uh, don't forget. Yeah, I was about to say Wonderboy Thompson, Raymond Daniels. Raymond or Daniels or Raymond Dang. They come from that background. They can actually do that shit in fights. Really, look up Raymond. Some of Raymond Daniels' highlights. You know what I'm talking about. Shout out, uh, <laughs> Shout out Raymond Daniels. Shout uh, out Raymond Daniels. But if you're not him, <laughs> like, well, okay, I'll say anybody who's in the actual sport karate world, right? Um, but like, that wasn't realistic. And then the fact that they're in a tournament where they're not using any protective gear, that's just, come on. None. Man. They could have modernized that a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even, even just a little bit. Um, uh, man, it that, that's the one thing. And then... Some of those school fights, and the, I think this is what you're hinting at, where it's like, you're an adult and, you know, common sense or whatever. It was mm-hmm. just corny, man. Like, like, I'm just like, I don't really care about this. Let's get back to uh, the LaRussos and the Lawrences and the, the people adjacent. that. Let's talk about that. But I understand, too, how it's basically the feud between the fathers permeating the feud and fueling the feud of the next generation. Um mm-hmm. Which I appreciate a lot of. But... I mean, what do I feel like? I, 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 one of the things that like made it hard for me to make that leap of faith initially when watching the first season, although I want to say like after watching the first few episodes, I might've finished that season like one night. Um, it was one of those days where the next day I was like in Zion. I was like, oh yeah, I stayed up watching Cobra Kai all night. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of find it hard to believe that Johnny was that much of a caveman. Like, and I, and I think that was intentional because they wanted to use the character of Miguel to help him modernize. But the fact that he didn't have a smartphone, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I can kind of believe that and kind of not. The fact that he's still referring to women as chicks and like all that. Johnny it's, lives
1: in the eighties, man. It's,
0: exactly. It, like that, you couldn't have put it up, I couldn't have put it in a better way, right? But it's like, I don't, I don't, it, it's not that believable. You know what I mean? Like I it's I don't believable think- to
1: me because I know some people I I had a boss before that was like a Johnny damn near. He wasn't like not in the sense of all the other things he dealt with, but right. just in the sense of like he's not moving from that era. But he's not know- listening <laughs> to current shit. He wants to
0: drive a fucking Thunderbird. And he's like, dude,
1: what are we like, doing?
0: But it's like not to the point we're not being aware of current technology, though. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm sure that dude knows what a smartphone is. Right, dude, might be aware when of this some this motherfucker got that laptop and brought it back, oh my and goodness.
1: he was like, it doesn't work. He said, did you charge it? He said, you told me it was wireless. I could have <laughs> threw
0: my TV out the window when this dude said that. <laughs> Bro, I'm I was the same way, because I was like, "You, I, this is a stretch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is a stretch. Nobody is this, to the best of my knowledge, is this dumb. Um, but, But comedically, hilarious. Mm -hmm. realistically i was like bro you're come on now um but that being said uh the other things that, that i was like all right when robbie is learning that one move that ultimate balance move the one hand one arm handstand at the skate park on a skateboard whatever i'll i can whatever but so it's like I love it because like you said the nostalgia and they're 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 actually pushing the narrative a little bit too cuz especially with the last season's like hey we got to move beyond like one style rules all like you have to understand that there are benefits from the teachings of Cobra Kai. there are benefits from the teaching of Miyagi-do right I'm not going to hold
1: you it That just was be-
0: wild to me that any martial arts instructor felt differently
1: than that Yeah yeah or oh, just on a just on, on that moment that I'm going to look at it in a realistic lens, it's like no good martial arts trainer is going to tell you, nah, it's all offense. You shouldn't be learning that defense right,
0: crap. Right, right. What? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, no, you're 100% correct. But I think it's also this whole thing about them both being stuck in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with, La- well, Johnny, we've already established, is like stuck in the 80s. But with LaRusso, now that he has, well, not that he just lost uh, Miyagi, right? Sensei Miyagi. Mm-hmm but he has no mentor, right? So he's kind of like, I don't want to say he's without a paddle per se, but it's like, you know, all those scenes where he's visiting uh, Mr. Miyagi's grave, trying to seek guidance, trying to meditate or whatever. It's like, he's still stuck in the past. And, you know, he got so traumatized by Cobra Kai, but like, you know, I'm just going to say this. This is the re- real reason why I want us to talk about this. And I, I want to know if you agree, but this show would be one season if Johnny and Daniel went to therapy. Yeah. I love this because again, it's pushing the narrative forward and we got the nostalgia. We got all these actors reprising their roles. And to be fair, like a lot of them have been aging rather well. Uh, I'll give it to them. Like like, that's not always the case for some folks, but they're aging rather well. Um, But like they're, they're trying to, like, achieve catharsis through their children. it's like, as a result, we have all these feuds. Like, now you got karate gang fights. <laughs> I'm sorry. But now you got karate gang fights happening, like, all over the high schools and stuff. Like, How did nobody
1: like, go to jail
0: uh, oh, all of those kids broke Robbie into did? the LaRusso house? Robbie went... Oh, okay, you're right, you're right. Okay, nah, Robbie, I'm talking about that battle. Robbie was there on attempted murder. But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, um... Cause apparently, well, they talk about it, right. The mom said she didn't want to press charges, right? They got the. There's no system. way in hell, bro. No, no, hell yeah. no. Y'all got to see the sale. It was
1: it was twelve <laughs> kids in my house. Y'all got to see sale. They tore my house up.
0: Yeah, no, but but um, it's like the 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 unresolved trauma from the fathers is what is causing this these feuds, right? And it's funny because it's like the fact that they're not properly dealing with this. It's like. We keep seeing it season after season where it's like they come to an agreement. It looks like, Oh, they're finally going to get over this hump. Then the kids do something because of something they did. And it brings them back to like square one, you know? Mm. Um, Then this could just easily be solved by them going to therapy, man. it's like, bro, just handle your shit. Like handle it. The kids don't have to go through this. Let the kids be kids. And LaRusso, maybe actually take an actual interest into what your kids are doing. (laughs) Your son is a bad person. Uh, your daughter isn't necessarily better, but like, yeah, no. Uh, my thoughts on this, I love this show and I'm excited about it. And then, okay, I'm going to throw a doozy at you. So you let's just talk about the Karate Kid Extended Universe, the KKEU, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? That <laughs> was actually, almost too many K's. Actually, actually there, it's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But but um, what about Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan? I'm very curious to see if they're going to show up. Right? And remember, um, who's uh, who's producing this whole franchise? Will Smith. Mm-hmm. So just something to throw out there, too. They it's can take open it. for, for they that, can that to be the there. case. They can take it there.
1: It's open for that to be the case. They have a lot of people within their extended universe because, like you see, yeah, Jaden, Jackie Chan, and Hillary Swank. I mean, these are all different people. Mm-hmm. Now, my only thing also, though, Jaden, I would be curious to see how they would be able to fit them in because Jaden Jaden's Karate Kid did not have shit to do right. with a Karate Kid. Right. Other I, than sharing the name.
0: I could take a cameo, even if it's just like in passing, you know, like Jackie Chan yeah. doing a Jackie Chan thing. Like, oh, sorry, my bad. Like, just like somehow like takes like some type of uh, 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 coat hanger or something like that, like flips it up into his hand and mm-hmm. just keeps doing his thing. Like, you know, um, but yeah, it's like, I could take a cameo, man. I ain't mad at that right or like you know jaden smith's character comes in as a teacher at the high school right the valley high school whatever and like people don't realize that's like, oh wait you know teach teach has hands or something i don't know man um but there there are so many ways they could play um, yeah i
1: just i'd like to so if they could, they could pull it off in a way that makes sense even if it kind of like only lightweight makes sense that's fine
0: that's fine But they could definitely take advantage of cameos. Oh, dude, funny thing. I feel like the referee that Terry Silver bribed at the end of uh, the season, also, um, that was some good plot twisting. Like, because you could Mm -hmm. tell that he was sending him, uh, setting up Crease from the jump, right? But that was Mm -hmm. a nice little plot twist at the end there. Uh, But I feel like the referee that Terry Silver bribed was one of the competitors in the first Karate Kid may have been Machio's, uh stunt double. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he fights against that dude. Like the Filipino-looking dude um, during the first tournament in Karate Kid 1, he wasn't in mm-hmm. Cobra Kai, right? But uh, I think that's the same actor. I could be wrong. Somebody correct me. I don't know. But no, that's my thoughts on Cobra Kai. I love the series. Wish they could tone down the corniness a little bit, and I feel like... Well, they're in too deep now to truly modernize the actual martial arts elements in terms of like competition and training. Um, But come on, man. People are using protective pads, been using protective pads, probably since the Karate Kid premiered. Um, Mm -hmm. You could bring that in, but that's whatever. Um, I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to the next season. I am as well. I think that brings us to the conclusion of this episode And Now Mind You, Matt, you want to wrap us up, brother?
1: Yeah, man. Um, so this is going to be end of episode number nine of nine. the now mind you podcast. Um, nine. Next nine. Nine, nine, nine. <laughs> uh The next episode in episode 10, we're going to be covering Hajime no Ippo Sakamoto days. Ayashiman, Jujutsu Kaisen, and My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. Um, we will not have Kaiju number eight until the Super. 17th. That's mm-hmm. when that gets released, and Super gets released on the 20th. So That might end up being the same episode. They will be the same episode, uh, just because of how that shakes out on the mm-hmm. days of the week. So mm-hmm. uh, We won't be getting those until later on this month. Um, also next week, we will be covering the UFC event. And our topic of the week next week is TJ Drumroll, please. All right, that was two. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> it is what manga or anime would you not like to see turned into, or what manga would you not like to see turned into an anime versus what manga would you like to see turned into an anime? Yep. Because I think there's some manga that are better left read. <laughs> and yeah. not even just from the standpoint of um the content but just some things i think are better read and i've watched some animated i enjoyed more as a manga than i did as an anime so mm. you know uh we'll be talking about that and we're also going to extend that question out to you guys be sure if you're listening to this on spotify to check out down on the bottom we got a question mm-hmm. you know we want to kind of get a little more engagement uh, with that being said, again, thank you guys so much for listening to us. This was episode nine. Next week will be our episode 10. Double digits. Uh, double digits, baby. You can follow me at Matt Hambrick on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, your mama's cell phone, Matt Hey, Hambrick. hey. <laughs> hey.
0: It's, we're, we're thanking our listeners. <laughs> Come on. You my! might listen. Uh, uh, I, oh, my God. You can find me uh, on Instagram <laughs> at tus4 underscore skate uh, t u s s four underscore s k a t e and I'd also like to give a special shout out to uh, the Tokyo Avengers subreddit on Reddit. Um, they've been giving us a lot of love on uh, the Tokyo Avengers. Shout out to y'all, man! Thank on, y'all, on y'all so much. Uh, appreciate y'all if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you, and also like to all the our new followers on Instagram, to all our new subscribers uh, for the podcast, like everything we do. Um, Thank you for the continued support. It, it really does mean a lot. And I'm happy that Matt and I are able to bring, you know, something that we both enjoy uh, to all of you as well. Uh, So thank you. Really, thank you. Thank you, you guys so much. I really appreciate it. We both really appreciate it. And we look forward to hanging out with you guys next week. Most def. All right, y'all. Stay safe out there. Peace. Peace.